Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. It is Tuesday and the Wise Guys are back. Hello world, Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler. We've got an awesome show tonight. We're live on Facebook for the first time, also live on YouTube and Twitch, and of course at ysguys.com, which means we're expanding our global empire to unite Cougar Nation in a most unique way right. here in prime time. And we don't we don't care how you watch us, just make sure you watch us. We would like you to subscribe wherever <laughs> you're doing it. And remember, all of these different platforms, subscriptions are free. So Yeah, that's the favorite so, yeah, price of everyone. Yeah, that's my favorite price. And uh, and again, I'll tell you, as Vaisekahema always says, if it's free, it's for me and I'll take three. That's Vice's <laughs> motto in life. So. And and we've always said the the more subscriptions and likes we get, the longer our wives will let us do this show. Exactly. And so, uh, for uh, for a, a middle of the month of January, we got a lot going on. Yeah, and here's the thing: if you always watch us on YouTube, certainly you should subscribe. But hey, why not go over on Twitch and subscribe there, and subscribe on Facebook, whatever, wherever you can subscribe, do it, and then watch it wherever you want. Just that would help do us. it. Here's so. what we got tonight: BYU and the Big Twelve. What the moment was like when the Power Five conference called BYU. And when are we going to get that fall football schedule? Deputy Athletic Director Brian Santiago is going to join us. And BYU's men's basketball hits the road for a big series in the WCC. Hall of Famer Danny Ainge will join us. And we'll talk uh, college basketball, Cougs, and maybe even a little pro basketball. When he walked in here a few minutes ago, the uh, the class level of our show went up. Yeah, absolutely. When he walks out of here in about an hour, we'll see where we're at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we're getting... We're getting a bump coming in. BYU hits the uh, road for a big series in the WCC. As you mentioned, the women are home in a big series in the WCC. Lauren Gustin continues her dominance on the glass as the nation's top rebounder. Who, her Cougars are riding a six-game winning streak. How about the fact that two of the three games – so she had three 20-rebound games plus, 20-plus last, last week and a half. And two of those games, she out-rebounded the other team all by herself. How do you even do that? Yeah, it's, they got five players out it's there. It's crazy. Um, and and uh, Kristen Kozlowski, who normally calls the women's games, um, had to miss a game. I went and called the game. And I'm not kidding you, six minutes into the game, there was a timeout, and I turned to Spencer and said, is she going to get every rebound in the game? Seems like it. It just feels like she's going to get every board on both ends. I was on Sports Nation yesterday, and we interviewed uh, Fusini Treore. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end, when we were done, I said, hey, are you watching – Gustin on rebounds, and he goes, she is the yeah, best. She is ridiculous. So the, so. Even the men's team are watching to go, how many rebounds she get tonight? Yeah. 20, 24 one day, 26, 21. That's how she's going. So, hey, how about men's volleyball back at the Smithfield house um, looking to stay perfect on the young season, um, having a really good start. And people are saying a lot of new faces, young, maybe this is a – I mean, Sean never rebuilds. He just reloads, right? Is this a reload year for them or – I don't know. Is this a year where they go compete for another national championship? He was uh, he was optimistic that they're building for a grand future when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Right. Uh, off to a good start. Our headlines tonight, the Big 12 schedule. It was rumored to come out today by the athletic director at the University of Central Florida. And then Houston's AD kind of also implied that it might be today. And then both backed off. And the day's come and gone. And there's no schedule. 
right? But, but hey, we'll have Brian Santiago. We talked to him about it the other night at the basketball game. He has a few thoughts on what might be holding it up, and and certainly we should have it by the 1st of February, and that'll be fun to see what's going on. So yeah. we'll, we'll quiz Brian a little bit about that when he comes in a little bit later. BYU finalizes their 2024 non-conference schedule. August 31st will be Southern Illinois, September 7th at Utah, and September 14th at Wyoming. They're going to keep the date over in Laramie. Yeah, interesting. And and I think as they move forward, um, you know, they're going to have to balance things out when they're playing in the Big 12. I don't know that you want to play two P5s ever, but right now there's some years where there's still two P5s on the preseason schedule. So, um, you know, home game against Utah Tech was moved from 24 to 26. And then BYU canceled future home and home series with uh, future home and home with Miami in 26 and 28. You know, that's in preparation to, to for life in this Big 12. So in 2026, they've got Utah Tech, Arizona, South Florida, all at home, and then at Utah. Is that too much? I don't know. And don't then know. Maybe one then, of those will be in Vegas. Well, in 2028, they have at Utah and Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is going to be out of there. Yeah, I, I don't I, I see just, that happening. Do you really want to play two P5s in your preseason schedule and then play nine in your regular season schedule, that's probably a little much. Speaking of P5s, did you know that Danny Ainge was recruited by Oregon to play receiver? Do you know We're that definitely when, talk when, about when that. Danny was here, I wanted him to come out and catch some balls um, and play some wide receiver. He wouldn't do it? No, he, like, he was too busy. Playing baseball? Yeah, and playing on my softball team <laughs> with Dave Palferman and all that group. Spring practice, early March. That's when we'll see Keaton Slovis yeah. on the field. We'll start the first week in March, and then uh, as we get the official schedule, we'll, we'll let you know. But just plan on the month of March is spring practice time. So it usually starts uh, that very first week of March, and uh, they have the option to extend it and practice fewer times a week. And so we haven't gotten the final schedule yet, but um, hopefully by next week we'll have that and we can roll it out for you. But, hey, clear March for spring ball. It's been exciting. Yes, exactly. A lot of new faces to check out. That's right. BYU basketball splits with Gonzaga and Pepperdine. The eighth-ranked Bulldogs rallied late to beat the Cougars 75-74. to And then BYU beat Pepperdine Saturday 91-81. to yeah, And so now WCC standings, Gonzaga and St. Mary's are tied for first at 5-0. and I think a little pe- people are a little surprised St. Mary's is looking as good as they are. Their net is higher than Gonzaga's yeah. right now. They'll be here in two weeks. We'll yep. see what they got. And then BYU is next at 4-2, followed by Santa Clara and Pacific, who are both 3-2. and Thursday, BYU's at Santa Clara. That's 11 Eastern, 9 Mountain. It's on the CBS Sports Network and BYU Radio. And then Saturday, um, BYU San Francisco. That's 8 Eastern, 6 Mountain. That's going to be on CBS Sports Network and BYU Radio. Um, hey, the Dons might be the surprise team. I don't know. They're 1-5. in five. Yeah, that's what I mean. They like every, the bad surprise. Yeah, everybody projected that they would have the length and athleticism to compete, maybe even challenge Gonzaga this year, and they're 1-5. Yeah. What's going on? They're going to play the BYU tough because they know it's the Cougs' last visit they're to the They're scary hilltop. because when Shabazz gets making points, he can all of a sudden score 40, and then the next night he has 8. And it seems like he has 40 when they play BYU. Yeah. So. There's some guys that seem to just light it up. Uh, you know, the uh, – the, the dude from Pepperdine is a guy who lights it up against BYU. Yeah, he likes to play BYU. Um, I'm trying to think of his last name. Uh, Millette. Yeah. And he was on fire until Millette the had, last 10 minutes. Yeah, Millette has like 80 points in his last three games against BYU. Next home game for the Cougars, as mentioned, St. Mary's 
on the 28th at 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain. That's on ESPN2. As mentioned, Danny Ainge is going to join us in a couple of minutes. We'll get his take on the Cougars and his opinion on what they'll face next year in the Big 12. If you just want a glimpse, all you have to do is look at the AP yeah, Top 25. The, in the Big 12, it, number one, Houston, right? They have seven teams ranked in the top 21 of the AP Top 25. Six coming in at 14 or better. Yeah, and, and we include Houston because they're coming in with BYU. Right, and if you look at the power rankings over the last decade, for 10 straight years, at, by the, at the end of the season, the Big 12 has been ranked as the number one conference in college basketball. It's because there's a lot of depth, obviously. Well, and the teams at the top are really good. When you got Kansas and Houston, who's going in, Baylor. Yeah, and the teams that aren't really good Kansas, Baylor, are still forecast as yeah. a bubble team for the big dance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the whole league might get there, there was some talk that every team in the league at, at one point about two <laughs> weeks ago was a likely uh, big dance candidate. So, Yeah, it's incredible stuff. Women's Hoop BYU, uh, they swept their road trip to LMU and Pepperdine. They've now won six straight for Amber Whiting. Right, and as you mentioned, Lauren Gustin, the number one rebounder in the NCAA. Uh, she's pulled down 20 rebounds or more in three straight games. And yeah. two of those three, as mentioned, she out-rebounded the other team. Got to watch her to see what she's going to do next. In the WCC standings for the women, Gonzaga's in first at 7-0. and Portland's next at 6-1, and followed by BYU. And the Cougars will host both the Zags and the Pilots during the final week of the regular season before we all get together down in Vegas for the tournament. Right. And it seems like BYU you started out a lot of new faces like, like the men. Uh, but it seems like they figured their roles out. Like everybody knows what they're supposed to do at this point, and they're really kind of coming together at the right time. So uh, they could be a factor in that WCC tournament. There's a chance they could go win that thing. You can see Lauren and the Cougars Thursday morning, 11 Mountain Time, 1 in the afternoon Eastern. They play San Francisco, and that's the game where they invite all the fourth graders. Yeah. So the decibel level's through the roof even before the game even starts. It's it's the loudest thing you've ever heard in your life. It's like a jet engine because <laughs> so, it's a different kind of loud. Yeah, you got to watch. You got to watch to listen to that, to see that, and uh, and also to see what Gustin's going to do. Yeah, and then Saturday, Santa Clara is at BYU uh, on the women's side for Eastern Two Mountain. That is also on BYU TV. Men's volleyball back in action Friday against Fairleigh Dickinson. That's at nine Eastern, seven Mountain. That one's on the BYU TV app, and then they play Saturday night at nine Eastern, seven Mountain on BYU TV. The Cougars are ranked number thirteen. Yep, thirteenth in the country. So, um, gymnastics, Boise State at BYU Friday, nine Eastern, seven Mountain. That is on BYU TV, and that gymnastics team's loaded. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we'll see how they do against Boise and. Yeah. And they're building. They're building. BYU baseball, that season opener is coming up February 17th. That's next month, by the way, against Louisiana Tech on the road. Head coach Trent Pratt will be in studio with us next week. Right. And then BYU softball, the season opener is on February 9th against North Carolina. That That's going to be – we should go cover this. It's in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. We should go cover that. Yeah, Gordon Eakin is going to be on with us in two weeks, the head coach um, from tonight, two weeks from tonight. That Gordon, softball program is already this. Big 12 ready. Yeah, oh, yeah. For their final. There's, some, there's women's soccer, women's volleyball – isn't it interesting? A lot of women's sports, you just go, yeah, of course. Cross country. Cross country, men's track and field, um, men's and women's cross country and track women's and field. Women's golf. Yeah, are ready to pl- are ready to compete right now yeah. in that league and compete for championships. Of course, men's volleyball. Um, they'll stay they'll out. Stay, they'll stay in the, in the um, uh, Mountain Pacific Sports Federation, which is the top league in college volleyball. So if there was a Big 12 volleyball, but there isn't, they would go in and dump and be really, really good. So, All right, before we get to our visit with Danny Ainge, the Learfield Directors' Cup final fall standings are out. 
and BYU is standing tall right with the best of America. That's right. Number one, Stanford. Number two, North Carolina. And then BYU, number three, followed by Ohio State, Syracuse, Penn State, Pittsburgh, Texas. And just, you know, because we like to say this, Utah finished at number 43 in the 43. BYU's number three. Stanford plays like 90 sports, which helps them get a bunch of points. Right. But um, to be standing there at number three, uh, the Cougars have finished in the top five of the fall standings for four straight years. Right. And you get your points. They're awarded by each institution's finish in the NCAA championships. Well, and, and we mentioned some sports that are fall sports just a minute ago that we said are Big 12 ready right now, like cross country is a fall sport. BYU is a top five in both men's and women's in cross country. Um, you know, women's soccer is phenomenal and always right up there. Um, so, yeah, that's they, they get a lot of points in the fall. But BYU's perennially perennially been in the top 20 every season when it's all said and done. So this year they got their points from men's cross country, women's cross country, women's soccer, uh, women's volleyball, and they got some points for BYU winning the New Mexico Bowl. When you win a bowl game, you get points. And so that has them number three in all the land. Again, we remind you we're live. Tonight's our debut live on Facebook. Right, uh, which we love. We had a lot of. We're building that audience. Uh, there's a lot of BYU fans that have easier access to Facebook than maybe uh, YouTube and Twitch. But we're there as well, and YSGuys.com. Yep. And uh, let's bring in our uh, man of the hour. Our first guest tonight lives by the mantra: "It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice." Which is why my mom has always loved him. Uh, he's also the only student athlete in BYU history to play professional baseball in the summer and be a star for Cougar basketball during the winter. And he did that for three years. He led BYU to the Sweet 16 in 1981 and was named National Basketball Player of the Year. He played 14 seasons in the NBA and won three world championships, two as a player and one as an executive. Currently the CEO of the Utah Jazz, proud member of the BYU Hall of Fame, and his number 22 jersey hangs in the rafters at the Marriott Center. Pleasure to welcome the great Danny Ainge to the Wise Guys. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. When you, when you see that jersey up there, and you see it a lot because you come to a lot of games, uh, is it cool every time? Um, I honestly don't look up there very often, <laughs> but when it happened, it was very cool. Yeah. What do you think I don't you got? I think about it much since then, but it was a great experience. But when we look up there and we look at the, you know, all the ones that are up there, that's a, that's a pretty unique and really cool group. That, that is up there. Kreshmer Chosich is up there with you. And Roland Minson. Roland Minson. Our guys Watts. that were part of that NIT group back in back in the 50s, right? Yeah. And then, and then Stan Watts up there. So it's a pretty pretty select group up there, a pretty cool group of guys. No, it's very cool. I mean, um, I don't know a lot about all those players, but I do know a lot about Kreshmer and I've heard so much about him over my career and had a chance to watch him once in person. But... Um, yeah, he was very, very special. The only time I've ever been up in the rafters was on a Cub Scout trip. You were up in there? When they let you, they used to take you up there in the in the walking areas on the tour of the Marriott Center. That's about as close as a McCann will be in the rafters. But number 22 was there every time we go. And and as, as, as guys who watched you play, um, and just uh, it's a reminder of, uh, one, how spectacular Jimmer and Tyler had to be to score more points. And we've had both those guys on the show. And they always pay tribute to you. And they both acknowledged proactively that you didn't have a three-point line. 
They both said that. They're like, Danny didn't have the three-point line. Well, so I think, I think the amount of games has changed over the years. And I also think maybe more important than the three-point line for scoring is a shot clock. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. shot clock was a big deal uh, for us. We were one of the top scoring teams in the nation. But three or four games every year, it would you know, be in the 40s or 30s. I remember one game, I think we beat Hawaii 32 to 30 or something. Like they just take the ball and play four corners and just hold it. Just well, remember, hold, Phil Ford, was they were running those four corners, right, at yeah. North Carolina? Yeah. Oh, man. We did our share of that, you know, with, with uh, leads late in games in, in those areas, but um, it certainly is not conducive to lots of scoring. No, and you know what's interesting is back in the day as a kid, when you were a fan and we were running the four-court offense to eat the clock, we were all okay with that. It's like, oh, yeah, this is our strategy. Now when you, when you see teams getting late in the shot clock, you're like, why haven't they shot three times already? <laughs> right. Well, another thing about scoring, I mean, I see it in the NBA and throughout my whole career, but, I mean, when, um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. I averaged like 24 points a game my senior year when Devin wasn't there. Right. Like Devin was a fantastic player. And, uh, you know, we're not going to all, you know, we're all going to score a lot less if we're Devin's playing and Fred's playing and, um, but yeah, who you're playing with matters a lot. Yeah, you you mentioned those guys, and and when we get reminiscing about great teams in the history of BYU sports, period, not just in basketball, I think back to to guys you're talking about, and when you had Greg and Fred and you and Steve Trumbo and Steve Craig, and you know Devin was part of that team before he went on a mission and came back. Um, what an unbelievable group. Of, of talented players that you were with at that time. And we'd be really hard-pressed to find a group across the board as deep with as much talent as that group. What What's your thought? Has, has there been a team that has had the kind of talent that that one had? I don't think so. I mean, Fred, I think, played 14 years in the NBA. And, and Greg, I think, played 12 yeah. or 13 years, Greg Kite. And then, uh, you know, Devin played in the NBA and – Scott Runya had a terrific career over overseas in Europe. You know, just didn't want to play anymore with family issue things going on. And um, Steve Craig played some yeah. in, in the professional ranks. So yeah, we had a we had a pretty stacked team. Trumbo had a great career over in, in Spain. Yeah, we got a chance to visit with Steve. Yeah, we had, we had a good visit with Steve when he was in. Yeah, Steve was, reminds me of Lauren Gustin. Like, there were times when I thought, is Steve going to get every rebound in this game? Like, yeah. he would just go after it. No, he was a rebounding machine. No <laughs> doubt about it. During your time on campus, you had Jim McMahon and Steve Young playing football and Blaine. Tina yeah, Gunn Blaine, was playing yeah. for the women's basketball team. Wally Joyner was on the baseball team. Keith Clearwater and Bobby Clampett were on the golf team. And Marie Osmond was in the student body. What a unique time to be on campus, late 70s, early 80s. What was that like? Well, I mean, first of all, you bring up Marie. She might have been the most important of all that. But, um, <laughs> I remember when I came on my recruiting trip, they, like, made it a point for me to meet Marie. Oh, yeah? She probably has no recollection of any of that. Oh, but. she will remember, believe me. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. She was a, a star. and But, yeah, I mean, watching Jim McMahon, I mean, I haven't seen a college quarterback that's been more exciting than Jim. Jim played a lot my my sophomore year where Gifford was the quarterback when I first got to BYU. And uh, I, I mean, at one point in my life, I thought about playing college football and, and maybe college baseball would be a better combination. And um, But then, you know, basketball season started and my <laughs> mind changed from week to week. But when I first got here to BYU and I was watching those teams play and yeah. pass the football, I mean, it was killing me. Like, 
dang, I could go out there and catch 15 passes maybe. I mean, And they had see. to have known that Oregon offered you a scholarship to play receiver, mm-hmm. right? Lavelle had to know that oh, yeah. you were an All-American football oh, I was, player. I was heavily recruited by BYU and Utah okay. and Notre Dame and Michigan State. I was recruited by all the Pac-8 schools in that era for football, um, mostly as a receiver. Some recruited me as a, as a safety, but most recruited me as a receiver. So what was the... What was the difference maker? Why did you decide? Like I said, basketball season started. And <laughs> it was my, just my better. Heart changed, <laughs> and uh, maybe sitting on, standing on the sidelines at an Oregon State football game and just seeing—I mean, I was like six foot four, one hundred sixty-five pounds, and I'm going like, "Oh my gosh!" Like these guys are huge. Yeah, um, that might add a little bit to do with it too. Isn't it fun though? So, so Danny um, could have played any of those three sports. Um, Obviously, he played two at the professional level, but at wide receiver, he would have filled out. He'd been an NFL wide receiver at that height between 6'4 and 6'5 with a skill set that he had. He's an All-American in high school in that sport as well. Um, but he ends up in basketball, and he just mentioned Giff. Giff came to play basketball, and Lavelle convinced him to come out and play quarterback. Gary Shady still thinks he came to pitch. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. Gary came here to play baseball, and he ends up playing quarterback there. So sometimes... Whatever's going on just leads you to your path, and then that 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 path goes. With yours, it was because when you know the decision making process had to come later for you. On am I just going to com- uh, continue to pursue this career in professional baseball, or do I pivot and uh, and go try to make a living playing basketball? How how did that come to pass? I thought I was going to play baseball. I you know I loved baseball. Um, you know, when I when I got to professional baseball, and I had played for an ex-major leaguer in high school in American Legion and, and played 70-some-odd games each summer from the time I was about 14 years old through my high school career. And I, th- I really thought baseball was a longer career. Um, you know, it was a more glamorous career to me at, at a certain point in my life, for sure, when I signed a baseball contract coming out of high school. But... Um, I think that the I learned more in baseball in my professional baseball life in the first three or four months than I had learned my whole life, and uh, you know basketball was different. Like basketball must have been more in my blood, and my brothers played, and my father was a player, and um, you know I never I didn't really feel like I learned that much. I learned the tricks of the trade from the veteran players, but you know I was not near as much. I I, I always knew a lot more about basketball than I did. Baseball, and I guess ultimately my senior year, having a good year, I just didn't want to. I still loved baseball just as much. Um, I wasn't excited about the NBA, especially if it wasn't the Lakers or the Celtics. Um, but I just, I had another year on my contract, so you know I was drafted later, and and, and I told everybody I was going to honor that contract, and so don't draft me and waste a draft pick. But it gave me a lot of leverage and gave me an opportunity to. To go to the Celtics, thank goodness. Yeah, because if you if you don't have that hanging over you, you probably don't an, end up at the Celtics. You probably end up some at a team like I think of Zach Wilson right now, and when, when when he gets drafted by the Jets, of course I grew up in New York. I was like, no, please, no, can't he fall to three and play for the Niners? But yeah. but the fact that you were playing baseball that paved the way for you to be at one of those teams that you wanted to be, right? I think so. I think, you know, Red had multiple picks. I mean, Charles Bradley was a big player in our conference that year and was a great player, but he was the first-round pick. Uh, Tracy Jackson was a 6'6 wing player, also drafted in the first round by the Celtics ahead of me. 
that same year. And then they, by the time they got to the second round in the 31st pick, I think, um, you know, it was a no-brainer for Red. He had a stacked team, a, a championship-level team, and other draft picks. So it wasn't near as big a risk for him as it was for other teams. So that was a that was a, a blessing. Yeah. So before all that happens, you're you're playing for the Blue Jays in the summer, and you're playing for the Cougars in the winter. And and we mentioned all the superstars on campus at that time. So how did you meet your wife, Michelle? Um, you know, I got to BYU um, a few weeks early, maybe even a month early, and was here playing pickup games and working out and getting in shape, trying to get used to the altitude. Uh, and um, I dated a handful of times. You know, there were dances before school started. Yeah. And I met a lot of people. Um, I met Michelle the first day of class. And um, we talked, but I didn't really – we didn't date for – a month and a half or so after we first met but once we dated then we were we dated for the next two years but what was the conversation like when you when you tried to convince her that to provide a living for her and your future family you wanted to play sports um yeah she had no idea who i was at first or that i was playing had a baseball contract or playing for the byu basketball team even um, it, was, it was much before that and um so we just hit it off. I mean, she saw, did see me play intramural football. I wasn't supposed to be playing, but I was hey, playing. I, I used still to play, say that he used to play softball when he wasn't supposed to be playing too, right? I, I, I tell her that she fell in love with me watching me play quarterback uh, on, intramural, on the intramural football field. Yeah, that's awesome. And is she um, like Brenda's wife? Brent Blaine's wife's into sports. My wife could care less about sports. Where's Michelle on the sports? Spectrum. Um, I, you know, she may be one of the most competitive people I've been around. Um, she's, yeah, she's a competitor. I mean, she plays mostly tennis and yeah. pickleball now, and but she played softball in high school, and uh, she's into sports. So and, she got what you were going through. She's a Toulson, through. so like she's yeah. related to all the tools. Yeah, she, she comes from a real career. sports family. So yeah. Brenda and Michelle play tennis together, and uh, and I asked Brenda when they started to play when you guys moved back out, and. Uh, I said, How, how's Michelle? And, and Brenda goes, her exact words, oh, she's intense. It's awesome. Because Brenda's in, you know, pretty intense, too. Like, Brenda really likes to when she goes, she's intense. It's awesome. And I'm like, she's married to Danny. That doesn't surprise me at all, right? <laughs> no, it's her. It's the other way around. She's, she's intense. And, like, my kids are intense and mostly because of her. Describe the feeling of your first Major League home run with the Blue Jays, which was June 2nd. 1979 and compare that joy to your first little league home run oh wow um i mean hitting a home run in the major leagues is is fun uh it was in seattle so it was northwest i had a lot of family and friends that were you know growing up in oregon were that were there at the game um so that was that was fun um I think still the highlights of baseball were just, you know, playing in Yankee Stadium and playing yeah. in Fenway Park. I mean, those were just playing against Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin coaching third base and managing the team and Thurman Munson talking to me as I walked <laughs> to the plate, you know. It's uh, th those were those were very special. Those might have been more exciting and fulfilling dreams than, you know, playing in the NBA Finals in, against the Lakers in the Forum. Um, you know, playing in those at such a young age in those ballparks was amazing. Do you remember your first Little League home run or have you had too many big shots since? 
Uh, I don't remember my first one. I, I, I remember my first one. Um, I don't remember what age I was, but I remember, you know, it's inside the park. You just hit it in that. <laughs> and you just, 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 just run. Yeah, <laughs> just run. I, I was always pretty fast. So, like, I made a home run more often than I probably deserve. I didn't hit it very far, but <laughs> hit it in the right spot. Well, your home run with the Blue Jays, it lasted for 40 years as the youngest player to hit a home run in Toronto history until Vladimir Guerrero hit one in 2019. So for 40 years, it that's was quite, that's quite an amazing thing. Yeah. I think I hit two and uh, it took him, it took him maybe two weeks to hit two or two at bats yeah. for Guerrero. Right. But you, you're a comp, you're very accomplished in a lot of sports. You're, you're a tremendous golfer as well. Um, and so Dave and I were thinking it would be fun to, to know your opinion. What's the most difficult thing to do? Is it hitting a baseball thrown by a major league pitcher? Uh, taking it coast to coast in a college game and making a last second shot against Notre Dame, hitting a three point basket against the Lakers in the NBA Finals, or hitting a golf ball out of a bunker at Riverside when lunch is on the line. Which is oh. the? I mean, I think hitting a major league slider and sinker are the are the toughest when you play against a player such as Jack Morris. Oh yeah, like maybe the best pitcher in the nineties. Uh, you know, hitting a Nolan Ryan fastball of over hundred miles an hour. I mean, those are. Those are challenging, but uh, I think the sinker and slider from Jack Morris might have been the most and the toughest, the most difficult yeah. task of all of all sports, I would think. Not hitting a bunker, a ball out of the bunker to beat Santiago for lunch. No, that's or Fino I mean, or any I, of those guys. I don't even have to hit it that close to beat Santiago. <laughs> I just got to get it somewhere on the green. Dave and I, uh, Go- Governor Herbert's been a really great golf partner for Dave and I, and I love playing with the governor because when you hit a bad one, he just goes. Uh, Blaine, governor's pardon, pardon, just go again. I'm like, and then his secret service would help us find and our balls. They would find the balls. And then, and I would say, governor, not, you're not the governor anymore. You, you, you know, you retired, so that doesn't work. He goes, oh, no. Governor's pardons work, like, even when you're when you're out of office. So he's the best to play with. You, no yeah. bad shots. I, I play a lot with Santiago. I think he just takes, takes a, <laughs> a governor's pardon on his own. I think, and, now, and that's he illegal. Wants. He can't do that, but I'm sure he does. Who, who's, who's the best? Because I know you've played a lot of – golf who's the best uh, professional athlete you've played with that's not a professional golfer um, at golf hmm. um, Steph Curry so Steph's a really good player huh yeah he's he's very good yeah we see him on those celebrity tours every now and yeah. then yeah his, his dad is very good too Steph's a little better I think so did he grow Del, up Del he grew up playing then yeah. Steph did used to play with Michael a lot with Michael Jordan played a lot with Michael Michael's a very competitive guy has an amazing short game Plays so much golf. Plays at his own course, I think, 200, 250 rounds a year. And then on the other end of the spectrum is like, and I haven't played with Charles, but 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 Charles Barkley was right in front of me at the TPC at Summerlin one time, and I watched him play. It almost made me play bad. <laughs> I, know, I, I almost got a hitch in my swing. It was when he was really struggling with that. He would start his downswing and stop. I don't know if he's still doing that. I hope it's fixed because it was painful. Yeah, Charles and I played a lot of golf when we, we played together for three years in Phoenix. And uh, with Dan Marley, we, we played a lot of golf. And um, Charles was pretty good. I mean, he shot in the 80s most of the time. I remember one game, one day we were playing, and he had to par 18 to shoot 78. And then when he went to Lake Tahoe in mm-hmm. the celebrity tournament, which was, you know, putt everything, every shot matters, uh, you know, television cameras everywhere. And, of course, Charles is going to attract a lot of attention. And I think that got him. And he wow. was hitting balls at the end of that round. And it was like he had a little bit of the yips. And it just got worse. And he tried everything to fix it. And including, I was told, I didn't see this, that he, he got a set of left-handed clubs for like a year. And trying to that. go lefty. Trying to go lefty. But 
he is back playing and uh, he's ch- made a challenge and so we got to get together and play. He <laughs> oh, said, he said he's ready for me and he's back. To oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I had heard that he was a decent player before the travesty that I saw out. I've never heard that he was a decent player. Like everybody has potential. No, no. Well, I, I, to- I, I heard, I mean, I used to say to him, you're like one of the best athletes I've ever seen to be able to hit a ball as you stop your downswing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like you still something. make contact. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That is something. BYU Hall of Famer Danny Ainge, who's also a three-time NBA world champion and current CEO of the Utah Jazz on the Wise Guys tonight. Let's go back to your first practice at Boston in November 1982, following a court battle with the Blue Jays and the Celtics, which the Celtics win, so you can leave baseball and join the roster. You walk into the gym, there's Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and Kevin McHale. What happened next? Um, There's also Cedric Maxwell. Yeah, there's the rest of the team. There's some other really good players. Um, We scrimmaged that day. Really the only thing I remember about that day, uh, because I practiced, the team had been on the road, and I practiced for a few days on my own. Um, Well, with ML Carr, ML Carr was working with me on teaching me some things, but we scrimmaged that day. And the thing I remember the most clearly is Cedric Maxwell sitting on the stage by by our court and counting out my shots, like, Three for 11, four for 14, you know, five for six. Because you came in highly touted. Yeah, I came in highly touted. That's and, you brutal. Know, we had a really good team. And, and uh, it was funny because the, the coach was Bill Fitch at that, on that day. And, and uh, he came over and, you know, I, I didn't shoot the ball well. But he came over to me and said, you know, it's not as easy as you thought, is it? You know, and like and my first thought was, like, those are the easiest shots I've ever got in a game. <laughs> I could get a shot anytime I wanted, um, but I just didn't make them. And, uh, you know, shooting the ball that year, because I came in the middle of a season of a really good team, and so I wasn't playing very much, and I shot the ball miserably that year. I remember Cedric was working with me one day at a game in New Jersey, and, and uh, you know, I was shooting the ball pretty well before the game, and I came in. I, I didn't even know if I'd play that night, and I came in the game, and my first shot hit the side of the backboard from the baseline. <laughs> he just went, oh, I could just see him on the sideline going, I'm just wasting my time. Well, we were the McCanns were all in because you were there, uh, and I remember no one waved a towel better than ML Carr uh, when, when he needed to get the crowd going. But was there ever a time when you're out there with Larry when you said, hey, Larry, how about getting me the ball? <laughs> no that didn't happen not one time uh, I, I remember i remember just to put in perspective i remember i'm coming off of screens and you know like i said i could get shots you know with those guys setting screens yeah. when i wanted and uh the coach pulls me aside bill fitch and he says okay like what do you what do you expect to make on that shot i go i don't know 52 percent i'm gonna make on those turnouts and he's going like what does he shoot points to larry i go yeah 60 what does he shoot? And he points to Mikhail. He goes, 60. <laughs> and it's like, uh, do you get my point? <laughs> like, we don't need 52% shots, uh, you know, coming, wow. off, coming off of down screens. And so, like, it just kind of, it changed me, but it, it, it was right. You yeah. know, if you're going to try to win, you know, like, those guys are just so special. They have to have the ball. You know, I see the game now, and it's completely different. And I saw throughout my, I remember we had a kid named Connor Henry who showed up maybe three years after this incident. He mm-hmm. came in for a 10-day contract out of the G League. And he doesn't know any better, right? He's coming off screen. He's got his one crack at the NBA, and he's making all these shots. And I'm going, like, how? why is someone not saying it to him? Like, he's <laughs> can't be shooting those shots. But, um, you know, there's part of it that um, 
you know, winning is what it's all about. And, um, you know, changing your game to win and conform to what's best for your team. Uh, I did, I did have a good time. You know, I think I scored probably my 10 highest scoring games of my career were when Bird didn't play or McHale or both of them didn't play. And so we used to have shoot around and like auction off or our bet on those shots. Like I get 10 of Larry's shots tonight. If I make <laughs> oh, shot. Larry's not I get playing three of his shot, McHale <laughs> shots. And so that was, uh, that, that, those were fun games, but, um, you know, playing with those guys, obviously we won a couple championships went to the finals four years in a row. And, yeah. and those guys were a dream to play with. How, how long uh, were you there? Now you're, you're face to face with, you're playing, you're a teammate before you, and was there a moment where you're just about Larry Bird? whoa, this dude is really special and he's different than all the rest. And did that moment, or did you already know that before you got there? Yeah, I knew it before I got there. But there are moments when you're there and up close and personal and you see everything that about, about him, his work ethic. And, um, you know, the thing that stands out is his confidence. You know, I always consider myself a confident player, but, you know, Larry was an entirely different level. Uh, I mean, there's so many stories I have about just him taking games over and, you know, we coach you call a play and like, he's not running the play. Like, it's just, <laughs> okay, he's just going to take it and score. Like, but he just had so much belief in himself and he could get a shot, at, you know, with double teams at the end of games, like teams knew what we were running and they'd still like, he'd still get a quality look off it at being 6'10 and, and being able to shoot the way he did. So how did you ever take the floor in the NBA Finals against the Lakers? And you look down there and there's Magic and Kareem and, and their group, and you've got your group, and you're in it. You're part of this thing. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. It was, it was very special. I mean, those teams were stacked, both the Lakers and the Celtics in that, in that early to mid-'80s. Um, you know, Kareem, you know, arguably one of the greatest players that's ever lived, and you got Bird and Magic who, you know, changed, transformed the entire league. And then you got players like Worthy and Byron Scott and Bob McAdoo and McHale and Maxwell. And, I mean, we got a guy, Scott. Rambus was in there at some point. Yeah, but I didn't mention him on purpose. (laughs) We have have a guy like Scott Wedman, who was the highest paid player during this era at one point and was an NBA All-Star the year before we got him. And he couldn't even get on the court. I mean, he was like a... 10-minute-a-game player, and was a fantastic player. but Big three-point shooter, he's right? Playing, yeah. yeah, playing behind Bird and, and McHale. But most people don't even know. like He was an all-star. It's, it's, it's interesting. We, we were talking about this with BYU in the Gonzaga game the other day. Um, there's guys making shots all game long, and then the game's on the line, and it's coming down the stretch. And there were times we looked out of the floor and we're going, no, nobody even wants it right now. Like, nobody even wants the ball. And you, you were a guy that wanted the ball. And, and when you got with the Celtics and you're surrounded by a bunch of other guys that, that wanted the ball, um, you had to play a role. Um, but it didn't mean that if, if they drew something up for you, you weren't like, yeah, give me the ball, I'll knock down that shot. What's the difference between a player that wants the ball in the third quarter um, and wants to make shots but, but doesn't necessarily want it in the last six seconds of the ball game when the game's on the line? Yeah, I, you know, I think, that, I think that as I look at those Celtics and Lakers teams, I think, you know, when you have a Byron Scott and a James Worthy and – Dennis Johnson and Cedric Max, like those guys were all capable. They had been go-to guys throughout their high school, throughout their college careers, and none of them were afraid in the NBA because they had moments already. They had moments where, I mean, even though they're not going to run a play for me with Bird or McHale out on the court, like if they're going to double my guy or like we have, I have to be prepared to take that shot. Right. 
And you, you're not afraid just because you've lived it and you've had that success. And I think you have that confidence and belief in yourself. And, and I think that like with BYU's team, they don't really have a guy that has been that person ever in their life. Maybe not even in high school, but probably, yeah. but um, for sure not in, in college level yet. So I don't think they're afraid of it. I think that what happens is um, you gain confidence as your career goes along. And I think also there's a, there's a, such a tendency for people to play not to lose mm. and just to take their foot off the gas and they're thinking like, you know, we got to hang on to this game. It's, you know, we got a 10-point lead and the game slows down. And so I don't think it's afraid to shoot. Um, I think it's just sometimes not knowing how aggressive to be and how confident to play and how much swagger to have and, uh, you know, the, the constant movement. You're trying to run the clock or do you, you know, do you, can you run the clock and still try to get the best shot at the same time? And the good teams can do that. That describes the mentality of getting the ball with five, six seconds left in the NCAA tournament. And there's no way you were going to pass it. You're going to the hoop to beat Notre Dame. There wasn't time to pass it, but I have a feeling that it didn't cross your mind. It was just, I've just got to go score. No, you know, actually, I, I really did because they had played a box and one on me the whole game. And I thought for sure they were going to trap me it's somewhere along the court, along the way I could get across half court. But my intention was to get the ball up the court as fast as I could and I was going to have to pass. Really? And, you know, they just, you know, because they spread out their defense, I was able to weave the way in and get by them. But I was anticipating having to hit Balaf or, you know, he had hit the shot before or Steve Craig. I mean, somebody need, was going to need to make a shot was really what was in my mind at that point. So as you're moving through the lane, uh, and I think Orlando Woolridge is moving over there and Trapuca is somewhere on the, on the floor, it's at this point you're just going, hey, the – they're not coming over here, and now now I'm right at the rim? Oh, yeah. No, I was just pushing it up the court, and it just – they never stopped me. And so I just went all the way, and it just happened. And, but, and we should say, though, I mean, I, and I, I know this from, from that team, if you got double teamed, you had every confidence that whoever you hit with that pass was going to knock down that shot. Not really. Not no? In that, not in that game. <laughs> no. No, we weren't making very many shots in that game. It was the UCLA game. Yeah, that that's was going, true. Everything that's was going. true. But we came, we came back. I mean, that game was like crazy because we came back from 13 down. We actually had no business winning that game, and they slowed the game way down. But there again, Notre Dame had like six or side. Just mentioned Tracy Jackson and John Paxson and Joe yes. Klein and Woldridge and Chapuka. Like these, this team was stacked. Yeah. And um, – I mean, we had no business. Kite and Roberts had four fouls, and they got a 13-point lead. And I remember Frank Arnold saying, we, they're, they're letting us stay in this game. Like, they're letting us – because we couldn't guard them if they would have stayed aggressive. But they tried to slow the game down, and they allowed us back in the game. And uh, we were very fortunate to win that game, obviously. Danny Ainge on the Wise Guys tonight. You can join us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Send us a question, ysguys.com. We appreciate having you all with us in our time with, with Danny. Brian Santiago is coming up here in just yes, a little bit. Brian Santiago in the house. We'll dive into some Big 12 and, and all that stuff. Plus, we got some golf questions for, for Santiago. We already had a golf answer or two from Danny. Yep, uh, yep. Um, one last golf question about Michael Jordan because you were in his special uh that um yeah the it was a 30 for 30 well it's just an espn special. yeah whatever it was was really good yeah. um what was it like guarding him when when you see all the assignments are different and now you got 23 and then uh what meant more beating the bulls on the celtics or beating jordan by yourself on the golf course oh i mean you know um 
you know, he was obviously he's not the same kind of golfer. So like beating him on the golf course is fun and exciting and he's good. I respect his game. But you but, were better. But I was, I think I was a little better, but beating him <laughs> on the basketball court where you know he's not better. I mean, Michael Jordan, the one thing about him that you can't ever deny is his entire career, every playoff series, even in 86 when we had this stacked team, we beat them in three straight games in the in the playoffs in the first round, but he was clearly the best player. Didn't he have 66 in one of those games? 60-something. something. That, that was one of the most fun games. I remember that game because – down the stretch, he and Larry were just ch- trading shots. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, no, he was you know he was so special. But even then, he was the best player. And then throughout the rest of his career, as he started winning championships and you know he got a little better team around him, yeah. there was never a doubt at the end of any series that he was ever in who the best player in the world was. It was Michael Jordan. And you know I don't know who else that's been. I don't know what other player even yeah. comes close to you know, being undefeated and being the best player in a playoff series every year. Did you enjoy your moments when you had to guard him as the ultimate challenge? The ultimate challenge. And if you did stop him, it was, you know, miracle. And if you didn't like, so what? Nobody guards him. And, but I, I remember a funny time in this 63 point game (laughs) and, uh, I got accused of doing this a little bit more than the coaches or my teammates would have liked, but, um, Walton fouls out guarding Jordan in an ISO. And he's screaming and cursing me out, like, quit switching. <laughs> Guard your own man. This is Walton yelling Walton, at you. Yeah, yelling you at for me. Switching, switching with him. I, I go, hey, I just want you to be able to appreciate how hard it is. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when, when you listen, as an old teammate of Bill Walton, do you ever listen to him do a college basketball I, game? I turn on the games just to watch him. It's like, like back, back east. That's the only reason I'm awake is watching Bill Walton. You turn him on, and I'm just like, on. my wife's like, why are you watching these two teams? And I go, I just have to hear what comes out of his mouth because yeah. it, it, it's just where he goes in a basketball game is like no was other. He, was he like that in the locker room? Yes. Just the same? He's a character. Just. I mean, he makes me laugh all the time. I mean, <laughs> I remember one time, and, you know, he used to stutter even when yeah. he was playing with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'd tease him about it because he was, you know, he was a tease and a practical joker. But I remember one time he um, was yelling at Jerry Seasting and uh, – he was running down the court, and Seasting was guarding the ball, and he was in the Walton's way as he's trying to sprint back on defense. And he, he looks at Jerry Seasting, and he goes, the only thing I hate worse than guards is backup guards. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was such a character. Uh, he made us laugh every day. He reinvents the English language in just about every yeah. broadcast. We're like, I'm, I'm not sure what oh, – I just got – you have to listen. You almost have to listen to him like you have to listen to, to uh, the late elder Neil A. Maxwell in a talk because you're just like, if I blink, I'm, I'm off. What, yeah. what, you stay with him throughout. You gotta be, you gotta and stay at the end, it. you hope it makes sense. Well, and I, and I love – like he'll take you down pathways. Like he'll go study history of the university there, and he'll throw some stuff out there and bring it all together and then mix it with American history. And I'm just like, I, okay – I just got a history lesson. I'm watching North Carolina and Duke, but I just got a history lesson. <laughs> Most but, I think, but I think people missed some of the funny things he says oh. about the game. Oh, yeah. Because he's doing all this other off-topic things of a basketball <laughs> game, and he's, like, talking about how like how, how bad the refs are. Like, yeah. they're ruining oh, yeah. the game of basketball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that the Pac-12 is the conference of champions no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Oh. Uh, is there uh, If there's ever an injustice in your life, 
it would probably be that some people still think that you bit Tree Rollins during that skirmish when everybody knows that Tree is the one that bit you. I think there was just a tweet out there today. Someone at work showed me that today. They go, is today the anniversary of oh, you no. biting Tree, of Tree Rollins? Biting? I go, no, no, no. But there was a tweet, something about... Really? He goes, the only reason I'm sitting this tweet is just to clarify that Danny got bit by yeah. Tree Rollins. And I remember the headlines the next day in the Boston paper, and it said, Tree Bites Man. I remember it, yep. Yeah, yep. so... You got in a few skirmishes over the years. When you, when you look back, was there one where you, that you got in where you go, I shouldn't have got in this one? This is a this is one where I need my teammates to get me out of it. Not really. I mean, I felt like they were all worthy. I mean, I I shouldn't have got into them because I you know I might have been like one in six in, <laughs> in the fight card after the after the ones I got in. But the tree one was funny because uh, I was feeling bad about it. But he was cheap jotting, and you know he's a great guy, and everybody that played with him loved tree. So I'm not bashing tree, but. You know, it's just that kind of a game. It's a big playoff game, and he knocks out Quinn Buckner before he in, hit in you. the game. Yeah, before I came back in the game, so he had he was getting us like with, mm-hmm. with elbows and, and fouls. And so when he got me running down the court and hit me with that elbow, um, like I felt like I had to do something. I had to like run or like go tackle him. You were and, smart because you went right for his knees. Yeah, and by the way, like we should have used. The, like BYU's football team should use that tackle video. Yes, like it's this classic. is how you it's tackle. It's how you bring video. down a yeah, beast. It's a teaching, teaching video. video. That this was like, good fundamentals. <laughs> it was good. It was excellent. Head then, up. He saw what he hit. It was yeah. all. It, we should make a video of it. It was interesting too because I watched it the other day. You're in this pile, and you're I think down at the bottom with tree. And the next thing you know, Larry Bird's rolling in there. I'm not even sure what he was doing, but but you had your teammates had had your back. They were all in on that. Yeah. So I, you know there was a there was a fight earlier. And it was uh, the the Dr. J Larry Bird fight. So Doc Larry was talking trash to Dr. J, which he didn't usually do. Talk to his you know the stars of the game. I didn't know anyone talked trash to Dr. Yeah. J. And uh, but Larry said I think Larry had like thirty five halfway through the third quarter and t- said to Dr. J, you know, like you need to retire, bro. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think Dr. J took that too well. And he's like the nicest guy in the world. But they got in this fight, and there was and. But we're watching film of that fight, and um, one of our teammates wasn't involved in that fight. And Bird was visibly dis- upset really? at that moment. That he didn't yeah. come to his... That, that, other, that one of our teammates, one of our regular players, wasn't in the, the, the mix. And that, that really did not settle with him. But yeah, he was always going to be there. If there was a fight it, going on, he's going to be there to defend. Is that players. like now? There's all these rules around it. Back, I always say back in the day, but back when you were playing, back, um, if if you didn't go to defend your, if your teammate got in a fight, like you had to go defend him. Yeah, it was, and yeah. and now the rules in college and the NBA, if you leave the bench, you're done. And so yeah, can't leave the bench. If you're on the court, you can go try to break it up. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's not the same. It's not the good old days. They can't just duke it out like the good old days. I was mad. I was mad. Do you remember? I don't know if you watched this, Danny. Brian will remember it for sure. But when Zach Wilson just got mugged at Coastal Carolina for no reason, like the play's over and two dudes, two dudes, they're throwing him down and doing all that. I was visibly angry that the entire team didn't run out and beat the crap out of him. Yeah, the ref was watching it. The ref just let it go. But I was I was mad that the team, because I have this old school mentality, like the. Why was the entire offensive line not down there beating the crap out of those well, two guys? Well, I agree with you, but what about the the late hit penalty on the quarter roughing the passer this week? They, 
Oh, the guy just barely got tackled. Yeah, what's he, a what's he, a tackle he didn't, anymore? He didn't even swing him down. No, it was unbelievable. Like, yeah, that was a huge play. But yeah, the the game they're getting soft. Yeah, it's, sure, it's not it's not. I like, was gonna I was gonna say on that on that Tree Rollins thing. What happened was I got in this fight with Tree Rollins. I you know wasn't happy that I got in this fight, but I was feeling a little down. That was on a Sunday afternoon televised game, and so I get a phone call the next day from Marvin J. Ashton who was close to us. I mean, he married Michelle and I in Salt Lake Temple. And yeah. and he says, he goes, you know, the brother and I talked about your incident yesterday in the game. And he said, uh, the only thing we would have done different is we would have gone after him a lot sooner than you did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That sounds like something Elder, Elder Perry would say as well. There, yeah. there were some guys that were yeah, in the we, sports. We were, we were That's ta- awesome. When Devin was on, we were talking about um, a play where Elder Perry, Devin had gone to the bucket finished at the rim and then turned around run back and i think they're playing notre dame at byu and a guy forward him right right in the face and knocked him to the ground almost knocked him out and uh the cameras kind of went over because coach was up now and um then there's large man stood up in the front row and leaned over and you could see in his lips he said what's wrong with you ref are you blind (laughs) and then um a woman's hand came up on his shoulder and sat him down out of the picture and then we, we asked him about it later, and he goes, yeah, that was me. And my wife told me that was not, you know, that's not how I should conduct myself. So I've got to do way, way better. I, I, have, to, I have to do that with President Santiago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Steve Cleveland yes. sent us a, a note of an incident we're oh, going to talk yeah, about. Oh, yeah, so we might have to bring that on, up. On the bench. For um, back in, in your time in Boston, you were also serving as a bishop in your ward. And, um, and we were kicking it back and forth, fascinated, because we've, we've all been in these kind of scenarios. And I was thinking how the young men responded to an interview with you as the bishop who's also running the beloved franchise in the area. Did you find that they were on time more, that they listened to you more, that they did what you said? Uh, we had great young men. It was like, yeah, they were the easy part of the bishoping part. Really? Yeah, the, the, the priest quorum and the young men, they were the easy part. Yeah, but I was surrounded by great great people as you know like that's the only way you can get through those callings especially when you have a busy life but yeah that was a great experience yeah that had to have been a your street cred in the, amongst the youth in the ward had to be skyrocketing because we we see it all the time with different types but but someone who's running the the beloved team as they're winning championships i just think that the youth would think that was pretty cool uh they might have thought of but you know i think they were just i was just a normal bishop to them most of them yeah Danny and I were talking the other night about, um, uh, he was telling me about this great idea, and we won't get all into it, but I said, we should start a not-for-profit to help these kids. And Danny's like, Blaine, we're old. Kids don't listen to us anymore. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. I don't feel like we're that old. They, but. they still listen, but yeah. you're right. It might take like nine times. Yeah. Hey, hey, I wanted to talk, as, you know, your career wound down, phenomenal playing career, um, one, one of the all-time greats. Um, clearly one of the all-time greats in, in BYU history, if not the greatest player that ever played uh, here. Um, and then, then it's into coaching and then into management. And in, in the roles that you've played as an executive, you have to make a lot of tough decisions. And we were, we were noting that you traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett away from the Celtics last summer. You traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert away. Um, despite what the general public thinks, you know, they're all screaming and, you know, second-guessing. Both trades designed to make your teams better – how did you learn to have that toughness in this role where you can kind of just focus and not worry about the, what the public says and do what's best for the team and make those tough calls? You know, I've just been um, 
scrutinized as a player for so many years. Like it's like the, I have pretty thick skin. Um, I don't know if I always had thick skin, but I certainly developed thick skin. But trading away good players is, is always hard. Um, but it's not because of the media scrutiny. It's hard because the relationships that you develop with the people. So with Paul and KG, it was, um, you know, it wasn't as hard because they were older and they were going together. Mm. And, um, you know, they had a chance to win probably more than our team was going to have a chance to win that year. So I had to convince KG. He renegotiated his contract with Brooklyn, and I think he was all in. Once once that all, all settled in. But uh, it wasn't easy, but it was easy to do because it was a no-brainer choice for our franchise. And that actually goes back to, I remember one year I was with Red Arbach at a Christmas dinner, and McHale and Bird were there, and they were both injured. And this was like 1988, and uh, Christmas of 88, and sitting around the table, and I go, Red, are you telling me you could get Detlef Shrimp and Sam Perkins and Dale Ellis for Kevin McHale right now? And these guys were all young mm-hmm. players in the league. And he goes, yeah, I probably could. And I go, and you're not doing it? And Kevin was sitting right here. Kevin's one of my best friends <laughs> yeah. even to this day. And I go, Are you, and you could get Chuck Person and, and uh, Herb Williams and Steve Stepanovich for Larry Bird right now? You go, he's got two Achilles tendon surgeries. Like, why are we not doing that? And I thought, like, we could restack the whole team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I always wondered about that. But, yeah, like, you know, it wasn't the first time I had trade discussions about Paul and KG, but there was nothing tempting Ever, I was going to let them retire as Celtics, and yeah. mm-hmm. and it, it go. But when Brooklyn came along, it was like an absolute no-brainer. Something that I had to convince people like this is what we have to do. Even Paul and KG, Donovan and Rudy was different because I'm coming into a new organization. This is not me. I'm just a, a chain link for Ryan. I'm like to look at the blind spots that they may have as they're making these decisions. As you know, without Dennis Lindsay, it was such a prominent and really good general manager for so many years that I'm just a link in the chain of the decision-making process trying to, and I'm just helping make that decision. But it was unanimous decisions of these were things for the, all the different various reasons that we had that it wasn't me coming in and going, we got to do this. got to yeah. get, you know, mm-hmm. I watched Donovan since he was 16. Like, I don't want to trade Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. But look what you got for him. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was good, but, like, you know, guys like Donovan are hard to find. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate that Lowry's turned out to be really good. Colin has, has played really well for us, and, you know, we got, we got some assets to try to continue to build. When you have those kind of assets, and we asked Jimmer if he had a question for you uh, when he was with us last week. He said, you asked Danny what he's going to do with the Jazz the rest of the season. <laughs> but when you have those assets over the next handful of years, you really have an opportunity to – to do so many different things. Um, and most teams don't have the freedom that you created in a short period of time. Well, yeah, I mean, coming to the Jazz just a little over a year ago, uh, they didn't really have any. They had, had sold out and were trying to win. And, 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 and I can't say that that was a wrong decision, but um, they didn't have any assets really to trade. Um, and so I asked all the guys as we're sitting there on draft day, I go, is this fun? You know, you got all these no, no picks, again, right? no picks, no really <laughs> no, opportunities to do anything. And then free agency came along a week later and I go like, are we having fun yet? You know, we're over the tax. We don't have any, and we, and you know, you, you can't get into the repeater tax unless you have a, you know, a championship caliber team. So, um, 
you know, it was, these were discussions and conversations I was having as I was getting to know uh, the, the jazz front office, who are a lot of great people that Dennis and Quinn hired, and I'd be stupid to get rid of them, and they're, they're outstanding people. So it's been fun getting to know them. Well, it's going to be fun to watch what, because with assets, that's how you, you build a franchise and get competitive. And, and I know your ultimate goal, and I know Ryan's is as well, to win a world championship. Is sure. that possible here? Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was possible. It's, it's hard to win it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Winning in the NBA is, is challenging. Winning playoff series is hard. Uh, but, yeah, winning is going to be difficult for sure. Speaking of difficult winning, BYU goes to the Big 12 next year, and uh, you've evaluated talent for a long time. As you evaluate the Big 12, in what areas does BYU have to get better just to compete? So I think BYU can compete, even even with the t- team they have now. It's just a matter of consistency. Um, you know, I think that Big 12, you just don't have a day off. Yeah. You know, you don't lose to Gonzaga by one point one night and get then Pepperdine. and get Pepperdine the next night. You you know, you got Iowa State and you got TCU and you got Houston and I mean it doesn't end. And the, and the Big 12 is the best basketball conference in basketball right now for sure. Yeah. It'll be fun, but you're right. It'll be – I don't know if the fans are ready. I think the fans are going to be exhausted through next season if they have to bring it every night because they're good about selling out the place for Gonzaga and St. Yeah. Mary's, and the others are, well, we'll go to the game if we, if we have I, time. I think that's going to be bring an excitement, though. You know, like, yeah. you, you know the, the, you got to look at it different. I mean, the WCC is completely different than the Big 12, and there will be an adjustment period. But, I mean, it all depends on the, on the talent that you get. And – um, but I think Mark Pope has done a good job with the, with the team and, uh, guys compete at a very high level. I thought that the Creighton game was, you know, except for the last minute and a half or two minutes, it was unbelievable performance. The Utah performance was great. Gonzaga yeah. the other night was amazing until just the very end. And, you know, it took them to make a couple of great shots in transition to beat us. But, um, I think it was, I think it's fun watching the team play. And so if you got more Gonzagas and more St. Mary's and, and that's what we're going to have in the Big 12. I think it's going to, you know, it's going to train our team and, and the organization and our fans and everybody to, like, be ready. you got to play. You got to be ready to play every night. Last question for you before Blaine hits you up with five quick ones. Uh, when you look back over your life uh, and you remember UCLA telling you you weren't fast enough to, to be with the Bruins, which leads you to BYU, and then everything that's happened to you since that um, – with with your personal life and your career and and all leading up to tonight can when you see the stars of how your life's been connected from one thing to another can can you doubt a a higher power that said Danny this is your course I've never doubted that like it was uh, I I wasn't planning on going to BYU it was uh, Marvin J Ashton had come to my home uh, or come to our stake and I it, it requested a meeting with me and he as you guys know he was a big U of U guy and U of U was recruiting me at the time as well and um, but anyway he said to me he says if you uh, are worthy you know going to BYU you should at least look into it I'm not going to tell you where you should go to school but yeah. you should at least make a visit there and so I probably wouldn't have made the visit had he not brought really? that up my brother had come to BYU didn't work out I I had some um, experience at BYU but not much um, but yeah I was I was all about the Pac-8 in those days and it was big time basketball Oregon Oregon State where powerhouses Washington was a national powerhouse and um, but UCLA yeah, my, was UCLA but my 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 experience on a recruiting trip 
um, at BYU changed my whole life. What happened? Uh, uh, you know, so we were, first of all, so Scott Rooney and Greg Anderson were the guys that were taking me out. And I think the first thing we did was we went to a movie, and Mark Handy was a senior, and he had played with my brother, um, but he got in a, a snowball fight with a couple of guys that were throwing snowballs at his truck, and so that was fun. And then we went over. To, then we went over. To Welcome the, to Provo. Yeah, yeah, then, exactly. then we went over to the dorms, and uh, I met Alan Taylor, who was a, a year ahead of us. He was Scott Runya's age and uh, Greg Anderson's age, and he was on probation, uh, you know, for because he threw a kid out the second floor of his dorm window. That That's frowned upon. Yeah. And I said, uh, like, why did you do that? And he said, the kid, you know, got my homework wet. And I go, okay, that justifies right. that. <laughs> and so then, so this fight, and then I meet Alan Taylor. Who's and this is how your center, visit's going. And this is like, those are guys I want to play with. These are regular dudes. Yeah, I like these regular guys. dudes. And so, um, and then we went home and... Um, and Scott Rooney and Greg and Greg Anderson, they had um, borrowed a, like four snowmobiles, and we were going to Strawberry Reservoir the next morning. And a big snowstorm came that night, and they called the campus police on themselves as they got in their snowmobiles and were riding around campus trying to ditch the campus cops. No kidding, <laughs> it was hilarious. I go, these are my kind of people. <laughs> I'm gonna anyway. That anyway. So the next day we went on a on a snowmobile trip and uh, we were racing across Strawberry and I went off of a ten foot cliff and the handlebar went right into my chest, hit me in the face. I fell down, was unconscious. Blood was coming out of my head and you know the guys were up top. They go like they thought I was dead, <laughs> laying on laying on the ground of the snow. And they anyway they ended up taking me and I had stitches put in above my eye and uh, and that night. After I got back, got stitches, and made sure I was okay. Um, probably had a concussion. But anyway, that night was a baptism of Mike May. Okay. And um, I think that baptism probably touched me more than, than anything in my life up to that point, for sure. And uh, by the time I got home from that visit, just all of the experiences, but the coaches, the campus, the professors, the players, uh, I had never really been around you know, other LDS kids that were like them. And um, they were just a lot more normal like me from what, you know, my experience had been. So anyway, I was, I was very excited to go play there. And, and of course, 22,000 people in the Marriott Center doesn't hurt. It's a great environment. It was a great environment when Danny was playing. Believe me, I was sitting up there watching it. Did you hit any jumps over by the Smoot building on your snowmobile or any of that stuff? <laughs> you weren't riding I around town. I wasn't those riding guys, around right? town. I, oh. I, they did that. Oh, those I, guys. You weren't with them on I that. Wasn't, I, was, I was in the house <laughs> while they did it, okay. so I was witnessing it, but I was like going, this is hilarious. And, and, and the great lesson that Danny's teaching right now, too, is this, though. You, you, you go play. There's a lot of places you can play. You go play where you fit in and feel comfortable and feel like you're going to be part of a culture and an atmosphere that's going to make you better and and all of that. That's it. Sounds like that's how you made your decision. Is where you felt comfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had been on many uh, recruiting trips, and you know, I won't say the school, but I mean, there's one school I go there, and like the two best players are trying to sell me cocaine. You know, just in contrast, it was a different time. It was yeah. you know and. But, you know, I obviously didn't want to go there right? and and play that. Obviously, they didn't get a memo of who they're bringing in for a uh, recruiting trip. <laughs> no. But, um, you know, the BYU experience, yeah, it's changed my life forever. I've never once doubted that that was the right call. 
Fantastic. What a story. Yeah. All right, you ready to hit him up with five quick yeah, questions? Yeah, so we just do these five quick questions. And we got Brian on the clock, and he's getting yep. antsy, so we so, got to get him in here. So, um, And you don't even think about him. You just answer him. First thing that comes to your head, your favorite sports movie? Um, remember the Titans. Nice. It's one of my favorite football, but I mean, Chariots of Fire. Oh, that's a great one, too. Hey, you know what? Is that they a, had first, a sports that's book? I think Chariots that's a sport. Fire? Yeah. yeah. That uh, is our first Chariots of Fire. See, like, he, see, this is Danny's not. What about not, Bad News Bears? Oh, bad News a, Bears. Which true, one? The old school one no, or the new I one? I think Walter Mathau. Yeah. Bad yes. News Bears with the, with the shortstop Tanner. My, Tanner. my I have a son named Tanner. And yeah. I was all excited because of the, you know, the personality on Bad News Bears. Oh, man. <laughs> Kid that got in fights with everybody. Wouldn't leave the field. <laughs> that guy's classic. So, see, you, you didn't go with a standard basketball guy answer of Hoosiers, which uh, is I great. I mean, Hoosiers might be my favorite basketball movie. Yeah, it's great, but I love Char- Chariots yeah. of Fire as a classic. I think Marie too. Osmond's was Hoosiers. Yeah, right Marie's was Hoosiers. Yeah. So, Hoosiers is tough to beat. Yep. Favorite singer or band? Hmm. I'm I'm a country music guy. I mean, I grew up on the Beatles and Rolling Stones. I, I liked as a kid, but um, I think, and I still listen to a lot of music from the '70s and '80s. But I'm a country music guy, and uh, so I would probably say, um, I'm bra- I'm brain- Garth, Garth Garth Brooks. Brooks. I yes. thought you were going to go Keith Urban on that. No, Garth. Garth? Brooks. Okay. Brenda's going to say, "See, hun, Garth. Danny's got it. He knows Garth Brooks because yeah. I'm like." Grew up in New York, so I'm like a hip-hop kid. She's like, what's wrong with you? I was interviewing Garth Brooks one time, and I asked him, I said, do you still get nervous? And he had just sold out four shows up in Salt Lake. And he goes, I get nervous every single night. I go, really? He goes, I'll be honest with you. Every time before I come out behind the curtain, I think to myself, what if no one's there? (laughs) I go, seriously, you've sold them all? He goes, it doesn't matter. Those feelings of I'm about to come out, what if no one's there? It's interesting how entertainers think. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. He, he's 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 the one best. of the best. He's like, yeah, I finally got good enough that I could actually hire a real guitar player instead of playing it myself. Like he's <laughs> just like he's the best. So, favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a shredded wheat guy with like yeah, I'm a shredded wheat. Wait, guy. do you do the frosted though? Please tell me, do the frosted? I don't do the frosted. I mean, as, <sighs> a, as a kid, you know, probably it was Lucky Charms. But, okay, now we're talking. But I think yeah, as an adult, it's been more. Um, non-frosted wheat. That's like that's healthy. Wheat. That's totally against the trend uh, of the show. It's my healthy. wife. It's my wife. That's really all we have. So Michelle's had a good influence shredded on wheat. Yeah. This is shredded wheat. She puts Michelle, a lot of berries can on you it. please, please get Danny some Lucky It's just charms. like serving up hay. It's like serving up some hay. <laughs> We're getting old. We have to have something. Well, we spice week, it out. We spice the shredded wheat. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. Your favorite moment with Charles Barkley? Favorite moment. Wow, we had a lot of fun moments. Um, I think was when we were in the we, in the comp, conference finals and beating San Antonio and Charles hitting a jump shot to win it. Um, but you know, every three, my, I played three years with Charles, and he made me laugh every day, every single day, as you guys can imagine. Yes. Oh, but, yeah. but maybe my favorite moment was where this just shows you how much players are going to control but we have our owner jerry colangelo there and who's got a lot of clout as an owner and we have the whole team and players are there and um and i got i got one of the story i just thought of this is this too good to pass up <laughs> okay. but, so charles it. we're taking a team photo before the game and so we, we get up there and these this, they're setting the stage for you know an hour getting ready for this big team photo the phoenix suns and they click like three pictures and charles goes we're done 
And they go, no, 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 we got a lot more. We got more lenses. He goes, no, we're done. Like, I'm in charge, not you, and we're done. And he just walked away, and there was no more pictures. He's <laughs> <laughs> got three takes. You guys, you got to better find one there. And then there's a day where Paul Westfall, so our tip-off is 710 uh, in Phoenix. And, you know, we're all sitting around. It's 30 minutes before tip-off. Everybody's always there. We all kind of stretching, look up at Charles. You know, his uniform's still there. So he hasn't arrived to the arena yet. And so we're just sitting there for another five or ten minutes. We're watching, you know, the pregame film, and no one's saying a word. Finally, Westfall gets up and says, if he's not here by 7.10, he's not starting. By 7.10? <laughs> but if he's not here by tip, yeah. he is not starting. Did he make it? He made it. Yeah, oh, he man. made it. <laughs> Westfall knew who was in charge. That's exactly oh, that's funny. right. So, Charles in charge. So the, yeah. the last one is, what's a favorite piece of advice you ever got from your dad? Oh, my dad. Wow. Um, I mean, I got so much good advice, but you know, my dad was, he was a, I used to drive up to him in Portland. He'd work like one day a week in Portland, which was like a two hour drive each way. And, um, but I remember one time he was trying to teach me about balance and, you know, he said, you need to have balance in your life. I go, dad, I'm, balanced i play baseball football basketball golf (laughs) (laughs) the four seasons and track and he's but uh you know we opened the 252 where it says jesus increased in wisdom stature and a favor with god man and um i've never forgotten that and that was that was a driving thing for me throughout my life to keep balance that's a good one that's That's awesome the great danny ainge with us uh thanks for coming Thanks for having me. Appreciate, appreciate being it. able to visit and we, we, when do all we, that when stuff. When we started this thing, this is what we envisioned because, you know, in our normal jobs and normally when you get interviewed, we we got a four minute sound bite or a six minute sound bite. We never just get together with friends and just get to hang out and reminisce. And we sure appreciate you doing it with us. It's well, so so fun. I'm excited that I'm being run out of the table by B. Sand. B. Sand. Oh, he's, yeah, he's he's getting anxious. He's ended some good days for me here yes. and there throughout I, the years. But I tell you, as a 12 year old boy, and I've told you this before, as a ball boy, a seventh grader from Lake Ridge Junior High, but a ball boy for the team, and and I'd rebound for you before these games. And you're the big star on campus, and I'm just a punk kid that I'm pretty sure I got ball boy because of my dad was running the Cougar Club, but. Uh, <laughs> But I remember you just always asked me about my day and kind of grill me on girls and my my life in seventh grade. And and uh, that's where I learned. And now we have kids and we've seen that with others is that the impact that a, an athlete can have on on somebody else just by giving them the time of day. And so that took place in 1979. But I, I it's still important to me. Even though to you, I was just one of the 22,000 in the house that day. It's just interesting well, how we do that. I've always liked kids. I still like feel, I love talking with the kids. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Danny Ainge with Danny, us. Guys. Thanks so much. You bet. We're going to have you Great turn you, the brother. microphone over to the man right here, Brian Santiago. Um, the great Danny Ainge. Next week, Jay Hill, the defensive coordinator, will be with us. And Trent Pratt, the baseball coach. Gordon Eakin will join us two weeks from tonight. Hey, and sp- speaking of uh, baseball, Danny's the headliner next week at BYU Baseball's first pitch fundraising event in Provo, Friday, January 27th at the Newskin Building in Provo, right? Yeah, and tickets, you can go to sportscamps at byu.edu yep. to get some seats to that. Uh, I don't know if he's going to tell baseball stories, golf stories, basketball stories, or football stories, but there will be stories there 
on that first pitch event. It's a great fundraiser for the baseball team. Our next guest won a state championship at Provo High School and played college basketball and baseball at Utah Valley and basketball at Fresno State. He finished the 1993-94 season with the Bulldogs record and assists with 233 and was second in the nation, hitting 50% of his three-point shots. In 2002, he was inducted into the Utah Valley Athletic Hall of Fame, currently the Deputy Athletic Director at BYU. It is our pleasure to welcome Brian Santiago to the Wise Guys. We've been trying to get you in here for about four months. Tonight is the night. Welcome. And, and hey, it, it, I got to call the games when he played even, right? And um, he when, when I lived at the Whittingham's house, these guys lived right behind me. And so his dad. <laughs> That's a whole show right there, I have a feeling. Brian's dad used to kind of make sure, because Fred and Nancy had moved down to L.A., and it was just the boys. It was just Kyle and, and Carrie and I. That and sounds then, like and a good Ky- idea. And then Kyle Morrell, which that combo right there is not a good thing. And, and uh, Brother Santiago is, is a dear, dear soul that I love very much for, for kind of keeping us in line and making sure we went to church. And he got a little mad at Carrie and I one night when I think it was a 22 where there was like a um, wood wall behind the pool between us and you. And we put targets up on the wall and we were shooting the gun into the wall. And your dad came over and told us it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Dave. <laughs> there was a lot that went on at that home, that uh, you know, uh, everybody's alive. Everybody, yeah, everybody alive. lived, yeah. and you want to know what? We all landed on our feet. Well, no, Ky- Kyle Morrell's not alive. Yeah, that's true. Because Kyle's because and, and Kyle Kyle <laughs> ALS got Kyle, our, yeah. our good friend. But I'm, I'm telling you, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the Santiago family, we we probably would have run amok a little more than we did. Yeah, it's nice to be here with you guys. Good to have you here. Danny just left, but I wanted to ask you, uh, in a free-throw shooting contest to 20, who wins, you or him? No question, me. To 20? How many he, he you get? He would tell you the same thing, 20. He'd tell you to he'd tell 20? And well, I'm we, not so you sure. Know, here's the thing. He'd make 20, too. He, he, he would make 20 also. If we... If we You'd have to go 20, into bonus time oh, to beat him. It'd go to bonus. It'd take a while. Did you uh, see? Did you see Tyler the other night on his on the fundraising uh, thing? He, he missed he the missed. first, then he made fifteen straight. Yeah, but he would have lost. Yeah, because he he, he missed, missed the first. first. <laughs> he couldn't settle in. If you're on the he first tee over at Riverside, who it's the longest drive? You or Danny? Oh, uh, it depends. Hey, I, <laughs> on the wind or no, what? No, it just depends. <laughs> it just depends on if he tees his ball up too close to the to the team marker and hits the team marker. He told us uh, that you are, uh, how should we say this, liberal with your scorekeeping. Yeah. No, we're, I, we were telling him, that he said that, we told him that Governor Herbert, when we play with him, gives us governor's pardons, we get shots over again. He goes, oh, Brian takes a governor's pardon anytime he wants, whether he's playing with the governor or not. <laughs> Just consider the source. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> consider the source. One thing about golf is, and I really believe this, it's one of the purest games on planet Earth. And yeah. and uh, I will always say it's one of the reasons I love it is because it's, it actually is a game of honor. It really And is. especially when you get into good competitive matches. And uh, I actually am someone that doesn't think there's any room for any any sort of out of bounds in golf. You, and there's you no teammate. Play. There's no, yeah, you, you can't blame yourself. anybody. You, you can't. You check yourself. It's, it's so competitive because of the handicap system. Yep. Yeah. It keeps everybody in it. You, you play. It, it's the matches. We've just had some of the most unbelievable matches. He, he, I don't know if he told you. We have an ongoing. Score. No, he didn't say that. We, we, for years and years, we've played so many. Now, there is some question on what the overall record is. Yeah. 
uh, and we differ on opinion there. But uh, since he's been back in Utah, since he moved to Utah, for a, a minute or two, I had the I had the lead, the overall lead, the overall lead. I think he's now surpassed me by how, one. Or like two. how many games? How many matches oh, is this now? Is it in the hundreds it's, it's and hundreds? Be 100. That's awesome. But but it's just it's awesome, and people don't know this. Uh, but you said something at the end there that's the reality. This is one, Danny Ainge is one of the best human beings that you'll ever find. Yeah. And he invests in kids even today that it's unbelievable. I'll tell you two quick stories. People don't know when he was playing at BYU, uh, he and Steve Trumbo, I showed up to my first junior jazz practice and they introduced us to our coaches, Steve Trumbo and Danny Ainge. So Ainge was my coach as a little kid. And no kidding. Kind of took me and in. And they were volunteering, right? Oh, they just volu- he, they just come from practice. And, it, you know, the first thing we start playing a little bit, the first thing he pulls me over and he said, hey, uh, every time you get the ball, I want you to shoot. <laughs> so that's where it so started. That's where it started. <laughs> Field goal attempts. FGAs, baby. You saw that green he light just, from Danny he said, You just He called me Santa. Santa, when you get it. <laughs> You shoot it. You do not pass. You shoot it. And and then he took me in. You know, he would bring me in the locker room after games. That's great. Uh, and so we started a friendship when I was, you know, eight, nine wow. years old. And that's something. He's always been friendly to me. And then just a week or so ago, he uh, was down in Vegas at the G League showcase. And my buddy calls me and goes, yo, Ainge has come to every one of my kids' games. The last three days, and we're all golfing buddies. Yeah, but he comes to the games, and then afterwards, he takes my kid aside and starts talking to him about the game and helping him. He goes, "Is this guy for real?" He is. He is for real. I said, "That's no." I said, "You don't understand. That's Danny Ainge." Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he shows up. That feeling. He cares. He cares about people. He follows up. He's been unbelievable influence for good with my own children, and uh, you know he's. As good as he is as a as a GM, one of the best in the world, uh, is one of the most respected guys in in the game of basketball. He's just he's just a real guy. I mean, yeah. sit he's, over there and laugh. He's a star in every he just and in, in every part of his life. He just gets you know? it. So, he's, all right, so that closes the chapter on our guest, Danny Ace. Now yeah. the spotlight's on yeah, you. Yeah, I, I have to tell you about this guy because he was a very very good shooter. In college. So that, that's just a given. He can still shoot it. So I actually brought, I, 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 I called one of his most recent games. Did you remember this? So it was a three on three tournament. He and Ryan Smith are playing, have a team in. <laughs> and Ryan asked me if I would come up. And it was, it was, it was a celebration of our, our dear friend Clayton Riggs that yeah. passed away. And we, so we we're having an annual three on three tournament. And he's a good friend of Ryan's and, and, and a good friend of, of Brian's. Um, but, but who, who else, it was you and Ryan and who was your third? I can't even remember who the third was. I don't know. It's somebody that was supposed to yeah. pass it. Yeah. It was supposed to pass. And, and <laughs> the assist th- man. And, it's like and, the bag man. And this guy man. was still taking Danny's advice. Shooting every time. Shooting. And, and he can still knock down threes from as far as you want to step back. I know we call it Jimmer range now, but back in the day it was Brian Santiago range. It was it's, Santa range. It's still Brian Santiago range. It's yep. good. We, we've had some epic shootouts. And it was fun. And they won it, by the way. 
Yeah. Ian Ryan and a guy they picked up won the three-on-three tournament. Yeah. And they played against some good teams. We've had some epic shootouts through the years with Jimmer and I had one mm-hmm. you know, right before the San Diego State BYU game when we were both ranked in the top five. Who won it? I was dressed like this, took off my jacket. Uh, we played a game where if you get up two, so if I shoot one and you shoot one, if I make it and you miss, I'm up one. Right. So it took about 170 shots from the three-point <laughs> line. Uh, we probably both combined missed six or seven, eight shots. Yeah. And I had two shots to close him out in the 150s and missed them both. That's nice you took one for the team so he'd have his then, confidence. And, he, and then he beat me. It still bothers me to this day. <laughs> Sounds but like the it. next day was one of the great epic performances of all time in yeah. basketball history. Everybody had been doubting Jimmer and Jackson, those guys all day. And oh. So you out. felt you'd help prepare him? I prepared him. And which game, was, was it the? At San Diego State. Oh, down there. Down there. NVA High School. Oh, CBS. that was something. At Fresno State, you go one and three against the Cougars. 92-93 and 93-94, those two seasons. What was your best game amongst those four against BYU? Uh, you won uh, in 93-73-68. Yeah. That was in, at your place in Fresno. We, we beat them twice that year. Are you sure? We, yeah, I'm 100% positive. I went us. to the Fresno records they, for this. They, yeah, it's, it's inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> we beat them because because we beat them in the regular season at Fresno, and then we beat them in the NIT. Oh, you know oh, what? maybe they I didn't, didn't have go the NIT, down the regular season. Yeah, before. we yeah. beat them in the NIT. I stand correct. Uh, so there were two and three then that season. Again. So those we, two we seasons. Played them, yeah, we played them four times that season. They beat us in Provo. They beat us in Salt Lake. Uh, in the conference tournament, and then we mm. beat them both times down there. But my best game was one of my best weekends in in my college career. Uh, Utah came to town on Thursday night. You know, back in the great mm-hmm. black, yeah. you know, the sixteen team. It just thing. you're playing two. You're playing two. Uh, it was like the old whack. It was New Mexico and UTEP. It was Colorado State and Wyoming. It yeah. was BYU, BYU Utah. And Utah. Yeah. It was just epic. So CSU Air Force. Yep. Yeah, Utah came in. Uh, on Thursday night, I had a triple-double, one of the few that they've ever had at Fresno State. Went 25-11-10. and 10. Majerus got thrown out of the arena. <laughs> it was a beautiful night. It's a win-win. And then uh, BYU came in a couple nights later, and I almost had a second triple-double. I had 11 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists, I think, and we beat them. Uh, Why didn't you play here? Uh, it, it's a great question, and, and a lot of people have asked me that through the years. Uh, my brothers played at BYU. I had a great relationship with the coaching staff of BYU. And uh, it, it, it actually was a turning point uh, for me, uh, opened some significant doors. I wouldn't be at BYU now had I not made the decision to go to Fresno. But I was coming to BYU. Uh, I had, we had talked with Bradley, with Ken Roberts, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. obviously Randy Reed and the others. We were going to make a run at it. We'd all grown up saying, hey, at some point we're going to end I'll up I'll be there. together at BYU, right? And uh i was uh on my mission came back uh, from my mission uh thinking that i would either come straight over to byu or play another year for duke reed who was roger's brother over at utah valley yeah and uh i went back to utah valley and about two or three weeks in a guy by the name of gary colson uh came into the gym he's the longtime new mexico coach was the head coach of Fresno state And he walked up to me and just said, hey, I know you're a BYU guy, but I want you to come to Fresno and just spend a couple of days. I know you're going to BYU. Just come spend a couple of days with me at Fresno. 
And at the time, I'm like, yeah, I'll take a little weekend trip to Fresno. Sure, why not? Yeah. What why harm not? could come yeah, from that? So I, I went. And uh, while I was there, uh, started to pay a little bit of attention to the people. They brought out all of the, including Steve Cleveland. We had, he was over at a barbecue. They had Sherm Sobey. And, and Steve at the time was here at Fresno City College he at the time? He was at Fresno City College. Right. And, and so they brought out a bunch of the LDS brass in Fresno, members of the church, to kind of help make me feel comfortable. But I was just on a little weekend joy. I mean, I wasn't going to Fresno State. Uh, but something interesting happened. And uh, my dad and mom, who I revere, had always told me uh, to make sure that I paid attention and followed my feelings. Yeah. And I was sitting in the back of a car with a couple of the players and riding down Blackstone Avenue, uh, enjoying the food, you know, everybody that knows me knows I love food. And in fact, I'm one of the, <laughs> on the breakfast of the recruiting trip. <laughs> Gary Colson looked at me and said, B, I'm recruiting you to play basketball, not football. <laughs> you can be like this. Yeah. I had yeah. the pancakes. I had all of it. But I was in the back of a car uh, driving down the street, Blackstone Avenue. still remember exactly where I was. And I had a very, very strong impression that I needed to go to Fresno State. And uh, it caught me off guard. And so I started to pay attention, started to listen to what coaches were talking about. I started to notice, you know, the red wave had a huge following. Yeah. But I really started to listen and started asking some questions. And I never told anybody that uh, while I was down there. But I came home and uh, my mom and dad said, hey, how'd it go? And I just said, hey, I had a great experience. And uh, I had a funny thing happen, and this, I told them what had happened. I'd had this really strong impression that I needed to go to Fresno State. And my dad looked at me and said, B, you need to follow your feelings. Mm. And you need to do that. And so I, I went to I, – I actually took a picture in a Fresno State jersey that they had sent with me and spinning a ball, and I sent it to him in the mail. Uh, I sent it to Coach Colson, and he got it, and didn't, I didn't send any note with it. I actually wrote on it and said, once a bulldog, probe a bulldog, always a bulldog. Bulldog to bulldog. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't know what to do, so he called the Reeds and said, hey, I just got a picture of Santiago spinning a ball on his finger in a Fresno State jersey. It said, once a bulldog, always a bulldog. You know anything about it? And Duke Reed came out on the floor and said, hey, what's going on? And I said. During a game. No, this was in practice. Oh, in practice. Yeah. And I said, hey, I. I committed to Fresno State. I'm going to go to Fresno State. That's the right thing for me. And he just said, no, I need you to go over and talk to Roger. I need you to. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a family this deal. okay. And I just said, coach, I said, you got to trust me. This is the right thing for me. And we talked about it later. Uh, but I went on and had a great year at Utah Valley. And I was I literally got home a day before the, the uh, school year started. It was probably 20 pounds overweight but i from your mission from my mission but yeah. I, I you know i averaged played 20, yourself into shape and average 20 points i think eight nine assists a game i shot 50 percent from the three-point line had a great year and played myself into shape and and then things started coming together and i had a great experience at fresno state that's that's fascinating it leads right into this next question uh and we'll get to your current role and and the big 12 and all that stuff coming up so hang on folks but uh steve cleveland's hired as head coach at BYU mm -hmm. in 1997, you go to his house uh -huh. and make the pitch to him that he needs to bring you with him. Yeah. 
why did you feel that at that moment this job coming to Provo and to get involved with BYU was so important? Well, you know, looking back, uh, Cleve was a really positive influence in my life in Fresno. I taught his uh, son in seminary. Uh, Steve Cleveland was super good to me. Yeah. And uh, it was actually Gary Colson that called me on the phone. I was at work in Fresno. I'd come back from playing in Puerto Rico. Been playing down there for two or three years. Thought I was going to play in the Olympics till I got hurt. And I was back in Fresno working, and my phone rang, and it was Gary Colson who said, I'm calling Steve Cleveland. Um, you need to go with him to BYU. And that was the moment where I just thought, wow. Because I, I hadn't really thought about it. Interestingly enough, I was one of the ones that knew Cleve was in, involved with the job. We had never talked about me being right. involved with him. I just knew, and then he had told me, hey, I'm going to Provo tomorrow. I'm going to be introduced to the new coach. Then I got that call from from uh, Colson saying, you need to go with him. So anyways, long story short, I, I couldn't eat or drink for about three or four weeks. I was just like, wow, that's super intriguing. I'd really like to get my master's degree. That'd be an unbelievable opportunity. I'm from Provo. I kind of know the lay of the land. I can, you know, have Cleves back. But I, in my mind, I started started to make sense to me. So I did. I went over to his house. Yeah. Said, come over. Rose was at his house at the time, Coach Rose. And we just started talking. And even then, it wasn't like, hey, I'm... Because at the time... Because he wasn't even sure... Well, they didn't have a position. Right. There were Back in the day, right. you didn't have an office person. Yeah. yeah, there wasn't a director just, of basketball operations. He just had the coaches. And he had already talked about who he was going to have on his staff. But then he said, you know, I'm going to talk to him about hiring a director of basketball operations uh, time. I think it was an administrative assistant or something. And and then that process took a while. And uh, there was a vice president at the time that kind of pushed it through. And if you remember the name Dwayne Busby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just such a great, great part of BOU football and so close with Lavelle and Kalani. But Dwayne and I came in at the same time. They approved the position for football and basketball. And Dwayne and I came in at the same time and and you and Steve shared an office. And we not only shared an office, but <laughs> I was, I, mean, I think I had two or three jobs at the time trying to make ends meet. I was going to business school. Yeah. I was sharing an office with him. Uh, there were a couple of times where I was like, hey, Steve, could you step out of the office? I got <laughs> to make a call for my other job. <laughs> I got you know, but I say this with, with respect. He, it only could have worked because of the relationship we had. Yeah type of person he is he he was so good to me and treated me like i was like right in the middle of it and he's the one that really opened all the doors for me uh to where i'm currently at and and i'll always have just a great amount of love and appreciation for cleve we reached out to him today some of you were coming on and we said hey what do you want to do you have anything for us to to (laughs) share and he sent us this he said uh he goes hey no one's you got you know Cleve. Yeah. Like we all love Cleve, by the way. He's so listening tonight. Hey, Steve. He, he says no one is more passionate or competitive than B. He would usually sit at the end of the bench nearest the scorekeeper. He'd start barking at the officials, opposing players, and was generally wound up. I don't remember the game, but I do remember losing my mind and yelling at B to get to the end of the bench. Then I yelled at Dave Rose to make sure he stayed there. <laughs> he says he got better. 
But he still had his moments at the end of the bench yelling at the officials. Hey, listen, sometimes <laughs> those officials needed a little something, something. And, uh, do you know what game, you know, do you know what he's talking about? I know exactly what he's talking about. What we is it? We were actually in Hawaii. <laughs> so he does remember. I know exactly where it was. We were in Hawaii, and uh, it was we were playing in a tournament over there at BOE Hawaii. And uh, it was actually Terrell Day was playing, and... Uh, what was the Rainbow Classic or something? It, no, it was BYU Hawaii. Okay, had some sort of a tournament there, and we were playing at BYU Hawaii's campus. And <laughs> Terrell got stole the ball, and what, it had nothing to do with the officials. He stole the ball and uh, had one of our guys out ahead of him, wide open. And by the way, Terrell the day is my guy. Even to this day, we were texting during the Gonzaga game. One of the best players ever at BYU, yeah. by the yeah. way. Dude was a bucket. Uh, but he didn't pass the ball ahead and dribbled all the way down, gave time for the defense to come back. So as he's going, I'm yelling at him, pass it, <laughs> pass it, pass the ball. And he dribbles all the way down. Guy kind of ends up fouling him and doesn't – score the bucket and has to go to the free throw line, it would have been a layup. Well, Cleve didn't like it. So Cleve's like, hey, get down to the end of the bench. And I turn around, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to the end of the bench, but somebody tell him to pass the ball. <laughs> yeah, it was just like it that. Had it. I, I, no. love, I love that he said to Dave Rose, hey, you get down there and make sure he stays down there too. No, he tells but, it, Dave. but it was good. But the best thing is after the game, Cleve came over to me and goes, sorry, B. And I go, coach. We're just all in this for one reason. That's we're in it for each other to help win games. And I said, I'm sorry that I I was so passionate about it, but we got to play the game the right way. I mean, we were battling that first year. I mean, we won yeah. nine games. It was heroic what happened. And yeah, but we were all so invested. I mean, you think about who was on the bench. You're talking about some of the most passionate people: Heath Schroyer, yeah, yeah, Dave Rose, Dave Rose Steve myself, Cleveland, you, Nate Call. I mean, there wasn't a lack of passion oh, on no. the bench. It's a wonder we didn't set a school record for technical fouls. So, so the best was I, I, never, I never got teed up. Uh, and back in the – you know how the coaches go out and talk? Yeah. Well, back in the day, you, the rules were the, the director of basketball operations couldn't be in that circle. Oh, interesting, yeah. So while they'd go out and talk, I'd talk to the team. <laughs> I'd get the team get them fired up. So before he, fired before up. this guy comes back before in here, let me tell you. Comes in here, this is, and we used to have some good See, Brian goes nuts about, about the same things. Like the other night in the game, in the game the one, the Pepperdine game, um, and this drives me nuts, uh, long rebound, outlet goes out. Now it's a 2 on one And the guy with the ball is slightly behind, and I'm like, advance the ball. Get it up the floor. Like, give it up and get it back. Like, give it up, and you're going to get it back for a layup. Instead, the player, I'm not naming names, the player takes it all the way down the floor and shoots a contested layup against the one defender and misses. Yeah. And the other team rebounds it. And we went to, and I'm very calm on the air, and they go to the break, and I just look at David. I'm like, what in the heck? Why doesn't he give up the yeah, ball? I, I just, I was taught to play the game the right way. You, you give it up, and you're going to get it back. Well, you've just... You're just playing the game the right way to win the game. And so from Provo High, mm-hmm. Utah Valley, to Fresno State, I was just always to Puerto Rico. I was just taught to play the game the right way. Never a personal agenda. So I have issue when people have personal agendas on the court because yeah. the only thing that should matter is playing for each other and playing to win the game. Amen. Fast forward to Monday morning, July 23rd, last summer, 
Texas and Oklahoma drop a bombshell that they're leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. What's the first thing that went through your mind? We have a chance. They need us. That's the first thing that went through my mind. They need us. Based on really nothing since the talks from five years ago, or had you heard things? So, no, the, what, what we had maintained when, when uh, they had talks earlier, five years earlier, we had maintained that had they expanded, we were in. Mm-hmm. But we really believed that. We all know what happened. There were some deals made to maintain they didn't need us at the time right but when texas and oklahoma left the first thing that went through my mind and we talked was we have a chance they need us and the other thing that we had done the things that we had learned from five years earlier is we have to be so good that they need us that they they have to come to us and go no there we want the whole cougar nation we we want the whole ball of wax we know exactly what we're getting, and that was, that was why uh, there was so much excitement and enthusiasm is, okay, if they're leaving, we got it. we're in a great position. So, the, you know, one of the things that was so cool about how it all went down is um, President Worthen, who... I've seen President Worthen, and he's been at BYU for a while. Yeah, I've seen him in a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different. President Worthen was at his unbelievable, very best when we went to present the first time of the Big Twelve. Mm. He was unbelievable. He he has he's so bright, got such a good mind, and he just painted a an incredible picture. And there, there was a lot of research done. We, we came up with an unbelievable presentation that first time. We had, we had some unbelievable consultants. We had some of the best business minds in the world helping us. People were coming out of the woodworks, Cougar Nation all over the world, all in, telling us whatever you need. It was unbelievable. So we, we had done that previously. So this time around, President Worthen, in, in trying to just express hey a couple things like this is who we are they stopped him and said we know exactly who you are previously because from five years earlier and basically said that's why we want you is they knew they they wanted us for exactly who we were and then you heard it in all the press conferences it it wasn't like they had to say oh we're taking them in spite of. They were like, no, we want we, we everything want them about and everything BYU. they bring. That's right, and that's why it was so exciting. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like, let's go. So it, the phrase has been said over and over again. Hey, the table was set with the f- presentations five years ago when they did. I mean, it's what you're telling us is that's absolutely true. The table was 100%. set, hundred percent, and 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 uh, and such a good foot was put forward at that time that it was a no brainer when it came around. So now I want to take you to. So Tom Homo gets on the phone. Tom told us in November, it was, it was, he said it was just a short phone call. So I'm just getting on the phone, and uh, it's big uh, 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, and uh, he basically invites us to, the, to join the conference. Um, so Tom hangs up the phone. You guys look at each other. Then what? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, probably the, the word that comes to mind is just gratitude, that we, we're going to have the opportunity to do something that we dreamed about, it's what kept us. I mean, it's what kept us going. We had always said 
we have to find our way in. We have to find our way into the game. We, we stand on the shoulders of some of the greatest athletes and some of the greatest coaches and some of the greatest administrators in the history of the game. We have to find our way in. We have to be in the game because there's you're, there's the power five and then there's the... You're in or you're out. Everything you're else. Out. Everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and we have been trying and, and doing an unbelievable job of being nationally relevant yeah. outside of the power five. But when you're in, it's just different. And we had always believed that we were going to find our way in. And we had been told over and over and over again by the doubters and the naysayers, no chance it'll never happen because of this, because of that. And then we would look back at them and say, oh, no, no, it's going to happen. That's what kept us going. And we believed it. And we believed that we were good enough. And we kept talking to our coaches about let's be so good that they want us, that they need us. And look at what happened over those years. We had national champions. We had teams that were right there knocking on the door. We did some incredible things. We were nationally relevant across the board. And that was our presentation to the Big 12 the first time was, hey, you know exactly who we are. And we, you look at it, in just about every sport, we can compete in the Big 12. Brian Santiago, the Deputy Athletic Director at BYU, is on the Wise Guys tonight. So Tom hangs up. You two stare at each other, this feeling of gratitude. Who'd you call next? Uh, we actually were pretty tight-lipped about it. Yeah. Because... You like, know, did you you wanted to scream somebody, it to the world, but yeah, what? Yeah, but until, some, until you sign... Yeah, until the contract's signed, the it's contract not signed, right? signed. We've all been in this business long enough. But, uh, you know, obviously internally the people that needed to know or advised and then we just you call mark pope uh he, he was the coaches were brought into the circle pretty quick pretty quick once everything was done because the last thing so you for there was do, a few days you knew you were in before anyone else yeah yeah, yeah. and and then you you've got to sign contracts you got to make sure that everything is is a hundred percent signed sealed and delivered then you can bring your coaches in i still remember the bringing the coaches in we we had a meeting um uh, it was late one night and brought all the coaches into the SAB and Tom, you know, shared the news with them. Said we wanted you to be the first ones to know. This is it. It's happening. That's so They're cool. They're announcing it. There was a <laughs> there was a great feeling of excitement and there was some people. Some trepidation. Going, some people oh man, going, this is not gonna be easy, well, right? No, because let, let's face it, it, the whole game's changed. Yeah. And and if you're not enthusiastic about going against the best in the country night in and night out in every sport and not everyone gonna, is and not everyone is and, yeah. and 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 there's pressure that's different yeah you know the the stakes are higher the the pressures on coaches are higher the everybody's going to scrutinize more uh you're looking at those schools up on the board yeah. uh you start thinking about Obviously, football, you start thinking about men's basketball. Oh, yeah. man. You know, we were talking about in the last segment, night in and night out, it's just like Gonzaga coming in there. So it, it, this is – but that was there, – there was great enthusiasm, uh, excitement, passion, uh, a feeling of let's go. We have work to do between now and when we tip in the fall of 2023. We have to be ready. And it's going to take some transition, and that's where we kind of launched into. And it was like, let's go. We've got to make some significant investments. We've got to yeah. make sure that they have the resources 
available to them so we can be great. And, and, and this is all still going on, right? Oh, yeah, there, we, there's still this build that has it, to take place between now and then, right? Yeah, and listen, we, we don't, we don't want to just limp into the Big 12. We want to be ready yeah. so we can compete day one across the board in every sport. We want to compete. The official invite comes on Friday morning, September 10th. The next day, this is 2021, mm-hmm. BYU goes out and beats Utah in front of a sold-out Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Has there ever been a pair of back-to-back days more significant than those two in the history of BYU sports and maybe even BYU? Super meaningful uh, because of the magnitude of what had just been announced, the buildup of needing to find a way to beat Utah. The feeling in that stadium that night was palpable. If you remember, uh, you could feel it before the game. I mean, I said to a couple of people, like, this is, can you feel it? It felt like, and, it and felt j- like and Jets Miami, were coming. It felt like the Miami and game then a little bit. the Jets. <laughs> Anytime lowered, you know Jets are coming. Then the Jets lower the boom <laughs> yeah. on the stadium. Thanks to, the to, thanks to our buddy Clark. Right? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. We've, so, we've had the guy that coordinates all that on the show. You know, it, it, they lowered the oh, boom. Oh, yes, they did. And, and there were a couple people that like hit the ground. They thought the world was ending. <laughs> but the feeling when those Jets took off, the way the team played that night, yeah. uh, the Nakua brothers yep. had a big part in us winning that game. Uh, that was those were two super meaningful days that just kind of jump started where we're going and and the enthusiasm has been the meter has been at a ten ever since. It's like so fun. It's so exciting and and so challenging. Yeah, there's a lot to be done still. Yeah. By the way, we talked to Clark um, and and we said uh, those jets seemed really low. Is, can can you go below the hard deck? Like, and did you go below the deck that you're not supposed to go go below for that? And he, he looked at us and he said, "It's classified information that we cannot talk about." <laughs> well, Jen Rockwood was on this show, and she said it scared her to death. Yes, because they came in. Well, they were a little late because the band finished early. Yeah. So they kicked in some burners and they came flying in oh and my right out over the side. We showed the part of the soccer game. They're just playing and all of a sudden Armageddon oh. flies over. Right over the soccer and, game. And they were on their way to the stadium. And they went right at Mount Tipinogos and then just went and just turned and missed it. Hey, Danny and Michelle Ainge were coming to the game. They sat with us that night. Michelle hit the ground. <laughs> she did. <laughs> on the ground all the way. Thought And we laughed. It, it, so it, there was so much momentum from the announcement. There was so – and my honestly, my favorite part about that football game was when they interviewed Kyle Whittingham, he said um, we got pushed around, physically beat up, and that doesn't ever happen to us. Yeah, it happened that night. And and to go play in the Big 12, we're going to have to be able to do that, to that's, be physical and out-physical people. That's right, and the consistency, right? right? You have to have enough depth that you can be consistent night in, night out, playing against what we're going to play against. And right. I, and, and right that's on. that's But that's what you want. And, and, and you know, football is probably the most prepared because they've been playing a Power 5 schedule as an independent. Yeah. So we've played... I mean, their Pac-12 series, championship last year. We, we've <laughs> played series of games where you're playing against those caliber teams night in and night out, and, yeah. and we've had to be consistently physical. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's going to be the challenge. Is we're yeah. going to have to be able to 
withstand. How many times so, a day are you asked the question that we're about to ask you is yeah. where is the schedule for the fall for the Big 12 football and what's taking so long? Well, listen, I, I don't right, think First of all, how many times a day do you get asked? I get asked. <laughs> we've, asked, asked. we've asked you it five times Every time we see you, we ask Yeah, you. and uh, I think it's it's not rocket science. That There's obviously a... Uh, two-pronged conversation hiccup. with two teams <laughs> on when they are or not leaving the conference and you know everybody's like well let's just do 23 schedule and then we can figure the rest out later but the reality is the what i'm being told is the conference said that it'll be out by the end of the month it was supposed to be out by the middle of the month supposed to be out in december first to be out by november yeah, whatever yeah. or something yeah too. but it, it'll be out by the end of the month which you know uh, we get it we we've seen we've seen on paper the teams and all i say is everybody better be ready better be ready to go <laughs> better be ready for some october and november now wait a second. expound on so we, that we, even we, though yeah. you can't expound on what what is when you look at those teams and tom had said to in an interview back in november that you knew who was coming and you knew where byu was going just didn't have the dates yeah. and some of that stuff but as you, as you look at that and i think cougar nation will see it and see the realization of this is happening. You've seen that and yeah. felt that. Yeah. It's it's awesome. The away games awesome. Home games are awesome. The schedule looks awesome. Uh the biggest change for Cougar Nation is right now with the independent schedule we're, we're used to September and October being heavy heavy games. loaded and then it tails and then off. It tails off. Now you're going to see the opposite. You can build. So yeah. you're going to have no you're going to have October and November games super meaningful games for potentially conference championships, which we were used to in the past with the Utah game always being on Thanksgiving weekend, usually for a championship. Uh, it's That's what it's going to be, is you're going to see a heavy uh, dose of really important games in October and November, whereas all the really big games the last few years have been up front in the schedule. In much, much more traditional, what yeah. we're used to in the old Mountain yeah. West. So um, I won't make you tell us when you think, but... But let's just make an assumption. I'm going to make an assumption that somehow Texas and Oklahoma figure out how to only play next season and not in 24. If that happens, is there a financial windfall for the new members that are coming into the conference, including BYU? Is part of that exit fee maybe come back to BYU? Is is, is that going to be a financial boon for BYU? Well, certainly there's going to be a negotiation if those two teams leave early. But it's not... Uh, it's not uh, classified information for everyone right now to know that if they do leave early, there's a significant penalty they have to pay right. to the Big 12 Conference, which certainly... I think it's $80 million, isn't it? Well, I've... Unless it's negotiated down unless somewhere. Unless it's negotiated down, and that's per school, if yeah. I'm not right. mistaken. Right, So, And can you, the SEC front the oh, money? Yeah, certainly. So it just doesn't matter where but, it comes from. But in today's day... I don't care what numbers you're talking about. $160 million a lot. is a lot of money in this landscape to have somebody come a year early or have somebody. So to answer your question, Blaine, uh, I guess it could be that that money goes to the conference and how they disperse it is how they disperse it. You know, in their disbursements, it's going to be a couple of years before we're at a full right. uh, uh, share. So I don't know that. But what I do know is that there are significant penalties to protect the conference. Uh, it has not been lost on anyone that it, the way it went down 
uh, you know, caught the Big 12 off guard. And, and upset. And, and not happy. So I'm not sure the Big 12 is like at the table going, hey, let us see how we can help you. Right. Uh, you make good on your commitments. And the commitment they have is to be in Oklahoma and Texas have is and to they be got in the leverage for two more years. They yeah. got leverage because USC is going to the Big Ten a year earlier. Yeah, so that, that's what got them all worried. Yeah. Right? So the, the reality of it is, the Big Twelve is in a good spot, and really, what the Big Twelve is doing is trying to hold those two schools accountable to the commitment right. that they made. However, that gets negotiated. I'm sure the SEC will be involved. They'll they'll all negotiate that out. What we have to do is be prepared. Be ready to go play for 2023. <laughs> we got to control the controllables. If BYU moves to a seven-game home schedule down the yeah. road, three non-conference and then yep. four or five Big 12 games, will that scenario likely include a Las Vegas game? Good. And if so, would that bring relief to the season ticket holder where they don't have to buy for seven games, they buy for six, like normal, and then the Vegas game is uh, everybody gets a shot at it like yeah. like you've done in the past? Yeah, it could be. Uh, the one thing that I, I would say to Cougar Nation, and Cougar Nations continue to come strong. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, a little side note, I was super impressed with the crowd the other night at the Pepperdine game. Yeah. After a heartbreaking so loss. Yeah, we, you know, we asked Cougar ourselves, like, what's, what's going to happen here? And when we walked in the building and it started to fill up up to the top, we were like, all right, Cougar Nation. No, Cougar Nation's been all in. And, and there's a lot of enthusiasm moving forward. Back to your question is, yeah, it, it could be. There could be games there. Uh, but six games or seven, even if, you had to have, even if you add a seventh game, tickets are a bargain at Cougar Stadium. Compared to the rest of the league. I, I think we're, we're competitive, but it's still an unbelievable value to come to that stadium from those that sit in the prime seats to those that sit in the not so prime seats, there is a, everyone is welcome at that stadium and they're getting an unbelievable value to pay another 30 to a couple hundred bucks to have a seventh game is very reasonable, more than fair. And, uh, I, I think and Cougar nation will do it, right? Well, I, yeah, they've always showed up and I think Cougar nation understands we can't be in the big 12 and operate in an independent and a WCC mindset. We need Cougar Nation more than ever to come to the table. We need our ticket sales. We need to be competitive in our pricing. I had a I had one of our donors call me the other day and offer to buy every one of the front row courtside seats next season for $25,000 a seat. Just to help out. And he said, the reason I'm saying this is if we're going to be in the game, Ask us to be in the game. Wow. We know you're trying to be respectful in the, what you're charging, but Big 12 basketball coming into the Marriott Center, charge us to sit on that front row. We should pay that much money. It's wow. worth it, and we want to help the program. We want you guys to be in the game. Ask us to help. We'll help. And we saw it during COVID when Tom Homo went yeah. to Cougar Nation and said, we need you. Cougar Nation all over the world came to the table. We, Cougar Nation is is on fire and as powerful right now as it's ever been, and we, we need them. And if we have a seven-game schedule and the price of the tickets goes up a little bit because we play in Provo, we have confidence that uh, Cougar Nation is going to come to the table Step and say, up. let's go. Do you see eight-game home schedules coming? I don't know. That's probably If a you've stretch. got four, if you're playing nine league games in one year, there's four on the road, the Big 12. Yeah. I think we were talking about uh, you got three non-conference scheduled for 24, 
We're talking about we can't, I can't remember. There's a couple we, where I'm like, whoa. But obviously those still can move a little around. Little we're, we're, that's probably a stretch, but but it'll it'll all balance out. You gotta you gotta keep some balance there. Yeah, we yeah. we understand that the Olympic sports schedules. I'm talking spot, uh, soccer, yeah. women's volleyball. They're already done, yep. um, but they haven't been released. What, what can you tell us about those and when that release will be? Let's go. It's going to be fun, right? I mean, I've looked at the schedules for the sports. I oversee 10 of the sports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the coaches, just, have they seen them? Oh, yeah. They've yeah. seen them. And, you know, for the most part, most of our coaches are pretty excited about it. Yeah. You know, you, you start talking about some of those Olympic sports. Our volleyball team's not afraid to play the oh. best teams in the country. Or our yeah. soccer team. Our or soccer or team's not afraid to play the best cross schedule. Country. Our cross-country teams, we, our we softball had Jen, teams. We had Jen, no. Jen in, and uh, and we said, so what, what's the jump going to be like to the Big 12? And she goes, we're going to compete for a championship right away. Yeah. And, and like, no fear. But but you look at it. Our, our softball team, they yeah. already play a non-conference schedule against the best teams in the yeah, country. None of those teams they're are not, afraid. They're not afraid. And, and, you know, there are a couple of teams that are going to have a tougher. Baseball's got to build. Baseball's got to build. But I'm telling you, I'm, I, I was telling Ainge today, I'm really excited about our baseball team and the, the transfers that they've had come in, mm-hmm. the, the staff that they're building. They've had a couple of big-time uh, pitchers come into the program. We're going to compete. We're going to compete right away. But when you see the schedules – Listen, it's gonna be fun. It's just gonna be fun. It, those, that's what you're getting, right? Night in and night out in every sport. It's gonna be awesome. Let's finish with this, and then uh, Blaine's gonna hit you up with five questions. Okay. You got a sneak preview of when it, when we yeah. were grilling Ainge on those. Um, you remain very close to the Lavelle Edwards family, and um, especially with Patty Lavelle's wife as their bishop, leading up to and through those final days for uh, for Lavelle when he was when he was still with us. What impressed you the most about him during that time? We all know the wins. We know the championships and all of that stuff. But you were with him in the tender moments of, of those last few days, um, conducted the funeral and, and all of those things. Uh, what, what, what stood out? Uh, probably his humility. Uh, wanting to be in good standing with the Lord. Uh, we had some unbelievably tender conversations. Uh, a couple weeks before he passed, calling me and wanting me to come over and settle his tithes. Uh, the quiet, behind-the-scenes acts of kindness to members of the ward that nobody ever saw. Uh, the letters to youth in the ward that were struggling, telling them that he believed in them, including my son in the MTC. I had no idea. Uh, when he passed, my son wrote me a note and then shared the letter that Lavelle had written him in the MTC. Uh, those, uh, The tenderness with Patty, and I don't mean to get emotional, but uh, he, he was... He was one of the most remarkable human beings that I've ever been around in my life. Everywhere we went, he was revered in the football circles. But, you know, you you mentioned Kyle Morrell earlier in the show. You have to remember uh, Kyle Morrell's comments at that Mm -hmm. 84 celebration about the letter he received in the mail at a really tough time in his life. 
that's the stuff, you know, in this world that we live in, in this business that we're in, if we're not in it to try to help these young men and young women fly, help them overcome the challenges, help them go fly and make a difference in the world, inspire them, uh, then, then why are we in this business? And that's what probably touched me the most about Lavelle is, and I've always said this, uh, there are only a few coaches at BYU that if they got on the phone and called every one of their former players and said, I need you back here tomorrow, that every single one of them would come. Lavelle's one of them. Mm -hmm. And we saw it. in the Like, everyone came. The walk-ons came. The All-Americans came. The rivals came. The This guy, he... He, it was about way more than football. And by the way, he was an awfully good coach Yeah, that won a national championship and put BYU on the map forever. But it was all the other stuff that he did to change people's lives. And that's what I got to see from a, from a, from a super uh, close uh, situation. The other thing is he was private. Yeah. He just wasn't about himself he was private he handled his business in private he took care of his family and then you know just all the way down you know one of the last people he spoke to was Jim McMahon uh, Jim had gotten word that he was close and I still remember just passing the phone to him it's one of the last people he spoke to uh, and just the expressions of love it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than Lavelle Edwards. Patty's not far behind. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, he's got Andy Reid still trying to win a Super Bowl to get, get that thing done again uh, against the Jags on Saturday. Fred Warner trying to get there. They play the Cowboys on Sunday. Those are the Cougars in the playoffs. And uh, we wish them both the very best. Great examples of great ambassadors of what you're talking about. But that's... That's the thing, is I think what Lavelle created was a love and a passion for this place that carries on to today. I mean, you just talked about two guys that in, in the last year, Andy Reid's been in that stadium. Mm -hmm. He's been in talking to the coaches, the high school coaches. Fred Warner's been at our basketball game at Santa Clara last year. They're, they're there before the Stanford game. Before the Stanford right? game, yeah. they're they're all in for this place, and 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 that goes across the board. I, I just am. Well, so and and with Andy's guys. patterned a lot of what he's done after Lavelle. Lavelle was a great yeah. mentor to him. I, I love when Andy came to the game when they when they had that bye week, and and obviously if Andy comes to the game, Brian and these guys, we're going to find him a place to sit wherever he wants. You know where Andy wanted to sit? Just up in the stands with his family, with everybody. Oh yeah, we had a. We had a box for him up there. Yeah. We, no, Andy just wanted to sit in the stand. And he and he said that. And he said, "Yeah, I just I just want to be a normal guy." He's Andy Reid. They don't get any better than no. that. No, I mean he's like just, he's the best. Was it not just the greatest when they finally broke oh, through? Yeah, like if you, it, it, it was. And they got a shot. My, they got was, a legitimate shot to get another one. Shot. And the thing that I the thing that says the most is when he did break through, the response from his players, former oh. players. 
the people like every coach it, in the league, every player in the league respects was, him. It's just that that's yeah. that's the stuff where you and know he's in the, the and he's built his thing after um, after Lavelle and people would always ask me like, hey, you met with Lavelle every year for your annual meeting, and then he and I get got closer when I was done playing and broadcasting, but. Um, they'd say, what would you talk about? And I said, very little about football. We would just talk about life and how I was doing and all these kinds of things. Like every, every time I talked to Lavelle, that's what it was about. It wasn't really about football. And it's just funny because when Andy and I talk, we hardly ever talk about football. It's just like Lavelle. We just talk about what's going on with life and what's going on with kids and what's doing all that. He, he's built just like Lavelle because Lavelle was his mentor. Yeah, and, and being around Tom Olmo, being around Bosco, being around Chad Lewis – uh, the way they revere Lavelle, and you know, it's you're not going to find a better human being in college athletics than Tom Olmo. That's just that's just one of the best human beings. He's been done an unbelievable job as the athletic director, but he was mentored and taught by Lavelle. Lavelle. Yeah, and they feel a sense of responsibility. Kalani feels a deep sense of responsibility yes, he does. to do things the right way because Lavelle asked him to take care of this program. It's just, it's awesome. Let's finish with five questions for Brian Santiago, the deputy AD at BYU, and then we're going to throw out our, we'll give you our inspirational quote of the week yep. and say goodnight. Yep, so favorite sports movie, B? <laughs> You know, it's going to be Hoosiers. I'll be honest. I did not expect Chariots of Fire from Danny. Danny goes with Chariots of Fire. With Chariots of Fire. I I love... I love Rudy. All right. I love Rudy, too. And Ga- and Gavin gives me a little bit of hassle. He's like, better than Remember the Titans? I go, no, they're different. They're I like different. them both. I like them both. I love Remember the and Titans. We, we, we've, had love- a chan- we've had a chance to meet Rudy, who's joined the church, yeah. and, and we did a thing with him back at Notre Dame when we were back there playing, yeah. so we've gotten to know him a little bit, which makes me even love it more. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I just, I love the story. I love the chance. Un- underdog. Yeah. You know, I, got, I just come from a family with my two brothers that are both walk-ons and Played, had great careers at BYU, and I just love the whole family shoot three pointers. Is that what's oh, going yeah. on over Everybody there? Everybody can shoot it. <laughs> Everybody can shoot it. Favorite, One of us can shoot it better. Favorite singer <laughs> or band? Uh, I know I, you, you guys talked about it already. I've never been a country music. Yeah, me guy. either. Um, but I'm, I'm learning from Brenda. But by uh, the way, Brian's wife also plays tennis with Michelle and yeah, Brenda. Kim, they all, they Kim's all in on this tennis. And, and by the way. Kim is also very intense. She's, she's can't imagine these, these women are intense yeah, when they play tennis. They, they are so, and they're all good friends. So, uh, I growing up, big Billy Joel guy. Oh, love Billy Joel. You're the first one that said Billy Joel. Wait, like, wait, wait. I don't know if that's his answer. That was just growing big, up. Okay, you know, big Billy Joel, and I can go with Billy Joel. I've just Billy seen Joel? some of the greatest concerts. I saw Garth Brooks in his private. Yeah, in Vegas. Oh, in Vegas. Awesome. yeah, awesome. Which and and I actually I got to tell you a quick story on that. Right. I'll be quick. We're good. Uh, you guys know I don't leave basketball games early ever, but I had tickets to that show. It was my wife's birthday. At the encore. Surprise her. Yeah. At the encore, and we're playing San Diego in the WCC tournament, and I left at halftime. Oh, were coach, we ahead? And the coach, we were up by two. Okay. The coaches see me leaving the arena. Rose and all. Oh, no. <laughs> you should have gone out and the they, other door. Well, I thought I had made the right <laughs> exit. And then in that show, if you remember, they don't allow you to have phones or anything. They uh-huh. make they, And so 
I was trying to check the scores. We we ended up winning before the show started, which was good. But yeah, that is when good. I turned my phone on after the show, Coach Rose, where were you going? <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, uh, "Birthday surprise." Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Gar- Garth that, is Garth that, is an unbelievable. Trust me, Cheryl would rather be at Garth um, than at a basketball my, game. My, Joel. Have, Okay. That Garth Billy Brooks Joe. song, like "Meet Your Mom," oh my gosh, I can't. It's a good one. So, favorite breakfast cereal. And and for the love, don't say shredded wheat. We've already heard uh, that I once. Said tonight. Come on, shredded come wheat on, just because he said shredded wheat. Yeah, but I am, uh, I'm a big honey bunches of oats. You know what? That's with very there with with. Frosted flakes in there to give it a little more sweet. You mix a little more sugar. A little yeah. more sugar. It's like crossing the streams with bananas. Frosted flakes. So that's the healthy of, part. That's the healthy part. Well, I get just the banana adds some more sweet. That's like a hat trigger. That's a hat trigger. On, on this show, B, we we respect people that eat lots of sugar in their cereal. I'm 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 a I'm a sugar guy. That, that's a pretty good combo, right? That's Look, a great a, We've had a bunch of. Oats. We, we've had with, a bunch of guests on this show, and not one has said shredded well, so, wheat. So you know, tonight. you know Scott Warner. You know Scott, right? Scott Warner. Yeah. Scott's a huge like he's a cereal aficionado. Like yeah. he, he he lives likes, it. He likes the. What did he tell you? What did he? What is Scott's? Do you remember what Scott's is? We actually mixed it and ate. Yeah, we, we mixed ate, three we mixed boxes a bunch together that he had us mixed together. I think he's cinnamon toast, cinnamon toast crunch. Cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, I think that's what he is. Yeah. Yeah. he's Captain Crunch, but not with crunch berries, which I don't just like understand. it straight. It's uh, fair. So, but, uh, but I, I'm cinnamon life, or and this is this is my Danny Pla- Danny Plater who came to our house every Sunday for the yeah. last five years of his life. Um, we had in in our cupboard, he would just come in, go right into the cupboard, and get out his Apple Jacks. <laughs> and so, so I'm not Brian. It'll be a Sunday afternoon, and I just go, and there's still the bin of Apple Jacks. I'm just like, in honor of Danny, I'm having Apple Jacks yeah, today. Why wouldn't you? I gotta have Apple. But Jacks. I do love and will throw frosted. Mini wheats. Okay, that's in, oh. in with that. See, that's not bad. Frosted, frosted mini wheats is okay, but yeah. shredded wheat. It's like a wheat, circus in your bowl. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to have a talk with Michelle and tell her to let let Danny eat yeah. for fun. So to free him up. Um, favorite. Oh, favorite phone call. Yeah, favorite phone that's call. A, favorite phone call. Right. Think about it. <clears throat> Could be uh, with anybody. Yeah. Favorite like phone oh yeah call. oh yeah yeah that's right so. If you're going to have a phone call with it, can they be alive? Oh, is or? this a phone call? No, no, that it's I, one you've taken. Oh, oh one the favorite one you've had. ever yeah. taken. Back in the day when I hadn't heard from my family for three and a half months in the Dominican Republic when I was on my mission. Uh, and the phone rang and it was my dad. Nice. I still remember his voice. Yeah. That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. I've had some great phone calls from some influential people but no like yeah uh, talking to my dad is one of the great joys in life you just saw your dad the other night and gave him a hug just the best so it's the best but that that was probably one of the most meaningful phone calls i hadn't received a letter hadn't received any word it was going on four months and then it was finally christmas time and the phone rang and it was my dad that was a good that, that was a is good, a good day one. I remember, it reminds me, um, after my dad passed away, I was driving back to Las Vegas, and I was calling my mother, and I, she had his cell phone. Uh, and uh, so I called that number, and it rang a few times, and his voicemail picked up and said, hey, leave a message, I'll call you right back. And I thought what I wouldn't do to be able to have my dad call me back. Yeah. So 
Yeah, that was a meaningful phone call. Yeah. So, All right. And then, then your favorite Steve Cleveland story. Because he gave us the one about you. We had a thought it was only fair. Uh, probably one of my favorite Cleve stories. Uh, and certainly there's some golf ones that are great. We've had some great golf moments together. But uh, Just know this may be verified no, by the other this, party this involved. Is a, this is a good one because this is a part of BOU history. Because uh, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into Cleve turning around the BYU basketball program. And we were in that fourth year, and uh, us getting a piece of the championship depended on UNLV and Wyoming game. We were in Air Force. Uh, we had won, but we needed the right thing to happen in that other game to get a piece of the championship and be conference champs. In the fourth year... And uh, we were all out trying to get a signal on KSL uh, radio, or it wasn't even KSL. It would have been, you know, either Wyoming or UNLV trying to just hear yeah. the game because back then you couldn't just right. plug in. And we found one out in the parking lot. Uh, we what we needed to happen happened. We were conference champs, and it was sheer joy. And yeah. we. We went. Uh, I was with Coach Rose at the time. Cleve was in his room doing the same thing, and we went to Cleve's room, and we were like, "We're conference champs!" And the <laughs> celebration in that little moment of just kind of a culmination of four years of blood, sweat, and tears of being sent to the end of the bench, uh, <laughs> sitting at the front of the bench, and to, sending Rose there to, to keep you there to. To just all the blood, sweat, and tears, uh, the <laughs> elation of being conference champs and bringing that pride and, and uh, tradition back to BYU basketball was a great, great moment. Yeah, that was a that was a hey. What Cleve did, um, I hope never gets overlooked. No. To, to come in and to this turn is. that thing around and, and get them back where, um, where we expected that we'd be in NCAA tournaments, that we expected we would compete for conference championships and all that again. It was a remarkable job. Well, he said it on the path. The people that he surrounded himself with. Right on. Dave Rose takes over the program. Heath Schroyer goes and is a very successful coach at two or three places. Uh, he's the one that opened the door for me to be part of the BYU uh, family administration. So... I just, we're, we all owe a great deal of, of uh, gratitude to Steve Cleveland. He's the one that kind of got that program going the right direction. Our yeah. Wise Guys Inspirational Quote of the Week. Let's roll out with yeah. that. We'll yeah. skip we're, birthdays we're go, and all that other stuff. We're going to go with Rocky Balboa, which, which seems fitting for tonight. Yeah, I think it is fitting for tonight. This is a Rocky Balboa quote. It's from the movie, but... but uh, since Sylvester Stallone wrote the movie, it's from Sylvester Stallone. Right? And, to, so, and to a lot of us, Rocky Balboa is a real person. That's right. So <laughs> That's exactly right. So he says, you, me, or nobody is going to get hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's how Rocky did it. That's how Brian Santiago did it. How Danny Ainge did it. And... Uh, that's one of the great quotes that covers so many different things but motivates you to keep going. Our inspirational quote of the week. Danny Ainge, Brian Santiago, we thank them for stopping night. by. It's great having Thanks, you here. Man. You're welcome anytime.
Hey, thank you guys. Nice to be with you. When that schedule comes out, we may have to have you back to break it down. Let's go. Let's go. We're ready. Next week, defensive coordinator Jay Hill and baseball head coach Trent Pratt ahead of their big fundraising event and the new season. Podcast will be up tomorrow. We encourage you to share it with everybody and plan to be with us next week. For Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, Brian Santiago. That's it. We're done for the week. How are we going to make it six more days before the next show? See you next week. We can do it. We'll do it. See ya.